This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, världens bästa to Team Russia for coming in second place in the World Junior Championships, but Canada came first. Woohoo! whoop de doo I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. What am I doing? Welcome, everybody, to the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who want to air Carlson in their keeper pools. Like I said, I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, back after a one-week hiatus, and with me is my BFF and the guy who's been manning the fort in my absence, Brian Calm. Elon Dubrovsky, it's so nice to be with you, coming in with a Bang. You know, it's a good thing the Russians didn't win or we'd have to do this entire podcast in Russian, which would be easy for you, hard for me. Uh, but we're all like we're ready to hit the ground running. It's been two weeks since we last did our show in Elon since that time. In fact, in the last 24 or 36 hours, you and I have both drafted mid-season teams, fresh, brand new. It was a really fun experience. We did this with some of our patrons. We're calling it a Cigar League, C-I-G-A-R. Can I get a redo? And it was like one of the least predictable drafts I've ever been a part of, just because you don't know how much everyone values these guys, even when you have their numbers after 40 games right in front of you. Yeah, it was really interesting. You know, I feel like on normal drafts at the start of the season, we're all using similar projections. We've all been listening to all the same podcasts. You and I have done the Almanac. A lot of our listeners have listened to it. You know, like, we're kind of, everyone gets a sense of who, which guys were high on, which guys were low on here. Like you said, yeah, everyone was just kind of going off their gut. I guess there's not really projections out there that we could all use. And yeah, it was fun. Maybe as we go through this episode, we could talk about where certain players got drafted. One player who probably didn't get drafted very high is Jake Gensel, unless he was auto-drafted. We'll get to him in a second, because Brian, since we've done our last mega episode, we've released some fun shows, right? You and Marcus did that great decade-end roundup giving us the top, what was it, five fantasy players from each position. I really enjoyed that. We had a really fun shifties episode by Ben and Lewis, the awards for the mid-seasons. That was great, but no more gazing in the past. We're going to look to the future by talking about what's happened in the past couple weeks because, yeah, a lot has happened in the NHL and for fantasy, like a ton of injuries. It really sucks, actually. Uh, A few outcheries, some interesting hot and cold streaks. We'll get into it all in just a sec. Of course, let's mention first that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website out there. They've been keeping you up to date all throughout the holidays all throughout New Year's with what's going on while Brian and I have been on a bit of a hiatus and yeah it's the best place to go for your articles all the tools over at Frozen Tools invaluable plus goalie post for your starting goalies I use it all the time it's great dauberhockey.com but okay Brian are you ready for a huge injury outjury roundup I feel like this will be like three quarters of the show so in an hour and a half we'll be done talking about all the injuries 
This is an episode where Elon, like you will really shine in. Any listener, I hope you appreciate that Elon is the best collector, aggregator, synthesizer, and curator <laughs> of all NHL fantasy news. NHL news period. Like if I find something out about a player and I tell Elon there's a 95% chance he already knows it and it's already scheduled for the next show. So Elon, this is this is your moment. Do your thing. All right. Well, I'll try my best. Did you just make up all those words? The aggregator, curator? Did you have that written down or did you just say that all off the top of your head? Off the top of my head. Brilliant. Okay, so look at that. Well, we can, let's just spend the whole episode complimenting each other on how great we are at podcasting. Okay, let's do you it. You smell great today. Let's prove it. Okay, you can't smell me. You did. You were able to in our last show we did together, right? Because it, it was fun. We did it live. I, I wonder if people liked that. But okay, Brad, we gotta get going! Okay, yeah, first injury I want to get to, like I said, Jake Gensel went crashing into the boards following an accidental collision with Thomas Shabbat in a game versus the Sens last Monday. And the next day he underwent a shoulder surgery and it's going to keep him out four to six months. So, Ugh. terrible. He's out for the regular season at least. Like, there's a chance he can make it for the actual playoffs. We'll see. Uh, so, Gensel ends the season with 43 points in 39 games. It's a 90-point pace. Would have been a career year for Gensel. Ugh. So sad. That sucks. Uh, Crosby's coming back soon. I was actually very curious to see who of Crosby or Malkin Gensel would play with once Crosby was back. Because, you know, last year, Crosby and Gensel had so much chemistry. But then this year, like, with Crosby out, Malkin and Gensel have been doing really well together. I would have... You know, it would have been a really fun topic on the podcast to discuss how the lines shook out. But now, yeah, we're done with that. We'll see next year, I guess. But like I said, on the plus side, Sidney Crosby has been practicing with the Pens, and he could be back as soon as next week. So that's good. Also, Patrick Hornquist returned from his lower body injury after missing a month back on the 28th. And Brian Hornquist has actually been on a tear since his return. He has three goals and and an assist in 18 shots in four games. And that was actually going into today. If I look at today, right now, the Penguins, oh, the game's over. The Penguins lost four to one to Florida, but Hornquist, another point, another assist, six shots. This guy's getting points every game. Huge shot numbers. He's been awesome. What do you think about Patrick Hornquist now? Because with all of these injuries, I feel like there's a good chance Patrick Hornquist should be able, once Crosby is back, to maybe get Crosby or Malkin as his line mate. Plus, he's been playing on the top power play. Fantastic, right? So do you think Hornquist... I actually got him out of free agency in the couple a couple weeks ago. I can't believe it. Now he's like one of my best players. Uh, what do you think going forward? Is Hornquist like a must-own at this point, or is he just going to slow down like he does every year lately? He's like a delicious cheese. He's at least a must-try. <laughs> Patrick Hornquist is the guy who Pittsburgh never wants around but always seems to be there when they need him the loyal guy that he is i guess he has no choice he has a contract he's playing by it but if you remember last year the penguins were going through this awful 10 game run where they won just once Uh, they were able to lose in overtime twice but they had seven regulation losses in 10 games and right towards the end of that sad stretch is when patrick hornquist Pulled the team on his back. He went on his biggest tear of the season, picking up 19 points in 18 games over a six-week span. And then uh, he did nothing. And he got bad ice time again for a while. Then he went on another small run. And then nothing again. And this is the story of Patrick Hornquist over the last few years in Pittsburgh. He's had more bad than good the last couple years, both in his production, the things he can control, and in his deployment, the things he can't control. But this is a moment where Pittsburgh needs him. And we know that Hornquist 
has answered the bell in the past, and he has the ability to answer the bell now. So I would absolutely be adding him in hopes that this is a moment where the on switch gets flicked, because he's one of these guys where we've seen the best, we've seen the worst, and right now we just see a big flashing opportunity for Patrick Hornquist to come in and do his thing, because the Penguins have nowhere else to turn, except like the nine other guys that they like to shuffle in and out of their top six. But this is a really primo chance for Patrick Hornquist to make an impact and is worth a speculative ad. Like, just add him for this week and see what happens if you have nothing to lose by burning the roster spot accidentally. But if this hits, it could be a huge ad for your fantasy team for the next several weeks. Yeah, I'd say, like, speculative ad if you're in a goals and assists only league. Like, definite ad if your league counts shots and hits and all of that because he's a peripheral monster and he's doing well. Seems to be getting good deployment. By the way, Brian, with uh, the Penguins having lost today, that was Tristan Jari in net, uh, letting three goals on 34 shots. I guess it's not so bad. Like, Matt Murray played well yesterday. I wonder if, you know, that's all it takes sometimes with these nebulous goalie situations. Like, one bad game from one and a good game from the other and all of a sudden it flips i'm not saying it's flipped yet but i wonder if murray has another good game if jari has another not great game who knows but something to watch it was that's not something i wanted to bring up on today's show but i just noticed this loss here uh so yeah we actually saw a tweet from at matt Vensel. he's a beat writer for pittsburgh and he tweeted out some power play practice lines where crosby was participating i guess he was just participating in practice in power play drills not in re- even strength drills uh anyways it looks like brian rust was bumped from the top power play in favor of a unit with crosby malkin hornquist jared mccann and Chris Letang. So this might not be very good news for Brian Rust. I assumed when Gensel went down, like super sad news, but at least that would guarantee Brian Rust a chance to stick on the top power play when Crosby comes back, but maybe not. Uh, Rust was riding a five-game point streak going into today. Uh, No points today, unfortunately, but still, like, that's 34 points in 28 games, around a 100-point pace. Like, Rust has been insane. Uh, How worried would you be, though, as a Rust owner with this development that that he might get bumped from the top power play once Crosby comes back? Is it time to try to sell hot ASAP or do you think he'll get back on the top power play soon enough or either way continue being like super fantasy relevant and producing since he's still going to be in the top six playing with Crosby or Malkin? Either way, I expect Brian Rust to still be fantasy relevant. We've talked about in the show way at the start of this, Ryan, how his game has changed under the hood. He's taken more shots. They're more dangerous shots. He's more involved in plays. This is not just uh, a streak of opportunity. This is a streak of some kind of growth and change that he's added to his game. And that's good news for Brian Rust owners, even if he does lose that spot on the top power play, because it's not something he's relied so heavily on. Yes, Brian Rust has seven or eight points from the top unit and that has been instrumental in getting him to this 100 plus point pace Uh, but you take all those power play points away Brian Rust is still good for a 76 point pace which might be a little inflated but come on we're not going to ding him too much he's like I said what he's doing still looks like it's in large part sustainable so uh, take all those power play points away still you got a 65 70 point player I'm not panicking about Brian Rust being off the top power play I I just want him to stay with Malkin or Crosby at five on five that would really hurt if he got shuffled out of the top six but I can't see why the Penguins would do that so this might be a good time to try and buy low well on some like if you can on Brian someone must be thinking maybe we throw these words out too often i almost feel like like how like what are you gonna get him for at this point when he's on a hundred point pace i don't know i just feel like if somebody owns him and they notice he's off the top power play and crosby's coming back and hoing is there and they're like oh no something's gonna change for brian rust i want to sell him if you can even buy him as a 60 point player 
Uh, I would do that, All obviously. Right. Oh, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Exactly. Like, I, I, I heard it there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, by the way, Jared McCann worth a stream probably while he's on the top power play. Like that's obviously we know the Pittsburgh power play when they're at full strength and they have Crosby and Malkin in the lineup. They don't have Kessel, so we don't know how good they are compared to how they were in previous years. But still, good spot for McCann. Got to imagine that you're going to want to stream him in if you have room. He's going to be the third line center, so that's not great. But hey, he's on a 48-point pace this season, which is going to crush his career high. So Jared McCann isn't nothing, and obviously he's even better if he's going to be on the top power play. So someone definitely to watch. Someone who definitely is not to watch is Alex Galchenyuk. Man, he stinks. He got first crack on the top line with Malkin and Russ after the Gensel injury. He's already been bumped for Dominic Cahoon. Cahoon was there uh, for a lot of the game versus the Habs and then in today's game versus Florida. I feel like we're going to need to wait for yet another fresh start for Galchenyuk before we should expect him to do anything. Like I'm over him completely on the Penguins at least. First off, Jared McCann, he's on the top power play, like you said, worth a stream, but nothing more. Just remember, he's not necessarily going to last there. Brian Russ, we talked about him being off the top unit. He could be on the top unit by the time we're recording our next show. So keep that in mind. Galchenyuk, another candidate to get on the top power play. But yeah, it really does seem like he's fallen out of favor with yet another NHL organization. This is the third one. Uh, Galchenyuk just played nine and a half minutes versus his original team, the Montreal Canadiens, the other night. The game before that, Galchenyuk saw a season-high 20 minutes. And before that game, Galchenyuk had seen 15 minutes, which was the most ice he'd seen since November 25th. And in that 20-minute game, Galchenyuk had four shots uh, and one assist. And that's fantastic. And it's like, oh my gosh, Gensel <laughs> The has fact that you're saying like one assist and four shots, like fantastic. It's like, that's in how low game. the bar is. I mean, hey, if Galchenyuk is getting all like a big opportunity to strut his stuff and he puts up a point and he takes four shots in that game to me that's like okay he's making something of this he's earned another game there and then of course he went to that nine and a half minute ice time the next game so uh you know i would have thought that his little audition would have translated to more not less ice time which is really just another indicator that galchenyuk needs some kind of change of scenery the team is not fond of him Remember that the Penguins are pretty bad at getting rid of players they're not fond of. Uh, see uh, Hornquist Patrick, who they've been trying to get uh, rid of for like at least two seasons now, and they couldn't. Uh, so I don't know if Galchenyuk is going to get a trade, but man, I really think he could benefit from one. And he's got one more, right? He's got one more chance to prove himself. It's been a very disappointing career from him. Yeah, for sure. At one point, we were loving him. He had like that one year where we seemed to be scoring a lot of goals on the Habs, and he's completely disappeared. So, oh well. Brian, remember that kids movie? It was like a kid became the owner of, I think, the Minnesota Twins. Do you remember that movie? And then, and because he was like so smart at baseball, and like his grandfather owned the team, and then he died, and they got the Minnesota Twins in a will. I don't know. I, I have this like memory in my head of there was a scene in the movie where like his favorite player was on the team, and he was like doing terribly, and he was told, oh, You have to cut this guy. And then like he got a base hit, and he was so happy, like, See, see, he's good, he's good. And then they were saying, like, Yeah, the fact that you're so excited that he got a base hit means that you got to let him go. And that's what I'm thinking about Alex Galchenik. The fact that you're like, He got an assist in one of the games is fantastic. It's like, that's just a sign that like he's done. I just don't know what more you could ask for, but a it's goal. a big sign that he's done a goal, sure. But he got a point. What, like, he got on the score sheet, and the movie you're referencing is Little Big League from yeah. 1994. Classic. Yeah, maybe a multi-point game. Is that a lot to ask for? Uh, Brian Russ does it all the time. Okay. It's uh, a start. 
Of course. So let's go next to another team that's getting hurt with injuries. And that's Columbus. They've just been crushed with these injuries. Check out this. Like, this is an incomplete list, but here's a list of players who are out for Columbus right now. These are just like the somewhat fantasy relevant players. Uh, Josh Anderson, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Alex Texier, Cam Atkinson, who actually may be back next week, maybe as soon as Monday. So keep an eye on him. Uh, Ryan Murray, who's a big minute defenseman for them. And yet, Eunice Corposalo was somehow able to overcome playing for this shorthanded team. And he put together a stretch of five wins in a row, plus an overtime loss to Washington, along with a trip to the shootout versus Chicago before he too went down with an injury in that very shootout. He ended up having surgery to repair a torn meniscus and Corpus is going to be out four to six weeks. Like it was, I was so excited to come on the show and be like, Brian, how is Columbus and Corpus doing so well, even with all these injuries? But yet he's now another victim. And we saw Tortorella's very angry tirade about how they shouldn't have even gone to that shootout. And like, that's a whole drama that I guess is for another podcast. I mean, not by us. But yeah, this just sucks for Columbus. A huge loss for them and Corpus owners who thought they had found a workhorse. Brian, I added him out of free agency in the couple right before he went on this run. And it was like, man, I was like, wow, I have a goalie who's playing every single game and doing well. Very hard to find this year. But he's out. Uh, And now we have Elvis Merzlikens, who comes in. He hadn't won a game all year before this injury. And then he put up two gems in wins over Florida and Boston. Then he led in three goals and 28 shots in the loss to the Sharks on Saturday. But still... Elvis put up great numbers in Europe last year, and if you recall, all throughout the summer, we had, we were having a big discussion of who was going to be the number one goalie on the Blue Jackets. We didn't know if it was going to be Merzlikens or Corposalo, because Merzlikens had that great pedigree, and Corposalo had struggled for so many years. Uh, so Corposalo clearly got the job. Merzlikens wasn't able to cut it, and he wasn't doing well in the games he did play, but now he does get the job, and he's doing pretty decently so far. Might get a ton of games. How do you expect things to go for Merzlikens moving forward while Corposalo is out, which is going to be for like six weeks at least, I heard, or four to six weeks, I think. Um, do you think Tortorella will use him in almost every game like he was doing with Eunice? And do you think he could be similarly as valuable in fantasy or is the bottom like about to fall out? Or is it just like impossible? Like the real answer is obviously that it's impossible to predict. But like, what do you think? Should people be pausing the podcast right now and adding Merzlikens ASAP because high volume goalies don't grow on trees? So the reasons you shouldn't add Merzlikens are that he's only been a 904 goalie so far, and that's raised thanks to these last couple performances uh, two and three games ago against Boston and Florida, where he stopped 25 of 26 and 36 of 37 shots, respectively. So way to go, Elvis Merzlikens, for those outings to bring you up to a 904 only. Also, his quality start percentage... 45.5%. That means uh, 45% of the time he's going to give you an average or better save percentage. Right. Do you mind? I know this is like, I'm being a jerk this podcast. I'm interrupting you so much. But like, this is like a super small sample size, right? When you're saying 45%, you're talking out of like five games or something, right? Like, Corpus Solo was playing all the time. He started, uh, Merzlikens has started 11 times. Five of those 11 times have been quality starts. And two of those last three, or two of those quality starts came in his last three. So bottom line, Merzlikens has not given a very good performance in his brief time in the NHL. But the reasons why you might still be interested in Merzlikens, number one, when you look at a goalie, you want to look at the team they play for. And the Columbus Blue Jackets have shut it down defensively this year. They have adjusted to not having Panarin in their lineup and not having Bobrovsky. And they've closed up shop in their defensive end. Only four teams protect their 
their goalies at even strength, better than the Blue Jackets this year. Dallas, Boston, the Islanders, and Coyotes. So that's the company the Blue Jackets are keeping this season, which is fantastic. Another reason why you might want Merzlikens is that you just haven't given up on him. As you mentioned, Elon, there was buzz and hype around Merzlikens coming into this season, uh, called the best goalie outside the NHL, did really well in the Swiss League. Of course, I always mention Red Obera also doing very well in the Swiss League. But Dauber over at DauberHockey.com has been one of Merzlikens' constant backers and has been piping up a lot recently saying, you know, Merzlikens never got a run of starts. He never got a chance to get into a rhythm. It's a different ball game, getting in the crease night in, night out, and now we'll really get to see what he's made of. So I'm interested to see what Merzlikens has to offer. I would be cautiously optimistic. Like, I want the best to happen for him, but he just hasn't shown us anything in the NHL to go off of yet, really good or bad that we can judge. So sort of give him a blank slate, forget what happened at the start of the season, and let's see what he does with a big workload. I'm keeping a very open mind to it. You might as well add him for a couple games. If he blows up your numbers, ah, you live, you learn. Yeah, like if he blows up your numbers, like any goalie you w- could have added had the same chance to blow up your numbers. I would be rushing to grab him just because these high volume goalies are very, very rare. Like you can't find someone who's going to play game in, game out. And we see that Tortorella is totally willing to ride a goalie into the ground if he likes him. Uh, by the way, there is a guy that's been called up, obviously, to play backup now, Matisse Kivlenix. Uh, so I don't know. That's a name I'll throw out there and we'll see if he could do anything. Yeah, for anyone wondering who he is, he is another Latvian goalie prospect with the Blue Jackets, undrafted, 23 years old, and he has not had a great season in North America so far this year. Uh, He's been in North America for a few years now and actually passed through the ECHL last season, uh, but so far with Cleveland of the HL, he's an 894 goalie, and Actually, the better goalie in Cleveland has been Vaney Vivalainen, who has a 924 in 17 games, giving up an average of just over two goals per game, which is fantastic. Those are excellent numbers. And if we see Vivalainen called up, then you know Merzlikens is, you know, on, on the edge. He's on dicey territory for continuing to get starts. That's the telltale sign. So as long as Kivlenix is going to be the backup in Columbus, that's the sign that you're safe keeping Merzlikens if you're just looking for that volume. Yeah. Okay. Good call. And thanks for knowing that. Yeah. Obviously keep the better goalie in the minors where he'll be playing lots of games. Uh, you know, when you mentioned that Merzlikens, you know, hasn't played much yet and maybe he's still adjusting just like the team is adjusting to not having Panarin. It kind of reminds me of Nikita Gusev, right? He had a really rough start to the year. And now it seems like he's settled in, he's getting more minutes, and he's starting to produce. And we'll talk about him actually in a little bit. But yeah, I feel like maybe the same thing could happen for Merzlikens, where he just needed some time to get his feet wet in a new league. Uh, by the way, speaking of goalie injuries, Auntie Ranta left yesterday. So we're recording the Sunday night, by the way. I, know we, I always get confused by when we record this. I like to say like today and yesterday, <laughs> referring to like Sunday and Saturday. But everyone listens to this on Monday or later. So I'm going to try to just give the specific days. So uh, no one cares about what I'm talking about right now. But Ranta left Saturday's game versus Philly with a lower body injury after stopping all 17 shots that he faced. Uh, So very concerning and maybe some very keen fantasy owners have already gone and added Aiden Hill not knowing what the extent of the Ranta injury is. I did see a tweet today from Craig Morgan, who's a beat writer for Arizona, and he wrote, right now, goalie Auntie Ranta is being listed as day-to-day. I'm told the Coyotes do not believe the injury is serious. So take that for what it's worth. Maybe Ranta will be back soon. Of course, Kemper is already out. So until Ranta is back or until Kemper is back, whoever comes back first, it's Aiden Hill, who I guess is going to be the starting goalie. He came in in relief, led in a couple of goals on 12 shots. Uh, His only other appearance this season was back versus Vegas on December 28th, where he also came in in relief, stopped all 20 shots he faced in that game. 
Uh, what do you think, Brian? Is this like another Merzlikens situation where people need to probably go and add him? Or since like Ranta's fine, like just forget about it? Like my impression is that Aiden Hill doesn't have the pedigree that someone like Elvis Merzlikens does. And also the Coyotes have called up a guy named Ivan Prosvitov. Uh, he's doing really well in the minors this season, actually. He has a 935 save percentage in 14 games with Tucson in the AHL. So I wonder even if both Kemper and Ranta were injured, I wonder if maybe Prosvitov would challenge Aiden Hill. So I don't know. My takeaway here is just don't add an Arizona goalie. But uh, what do you think? Except that I I mentioned the team in the same breath as the top defensive teams in the NHL this year. So if you're a believer that any team can protect a goalie, uh, then Aiden Hill or whoever's tending twine in Arizona might be worth your while. And I don't think it's fair to say Aiden Hill is without pedigree. He's still just 23 years old. He was a third round draft pick back in 2015. And he's had an okay body of work in the AHL over the course of his career. Uh, Prosvitov has been the much better goalie in the AHL this year, 931 to Aiden Hill's 907. But, uh, I actually, my guess is that Antiranta is actually okay, which might be unpopular because Antiranta is rarely okay. But from the updates I've seen, it doesn't look like anyone is too concerned. So maybe this is just a chance for you to uh, go get Antiranta because he was doing great in Kemper's absence. Yeah, that's true. And like you're saying, you want to have the goalie. I was just kind of saying, I don't know who it's going to be, but if it's just Ranta, then it's easy. And also Kemper, I think it started skating, I think I saw. So who knows, at some point we might get back to that tandem and maybe even Kemper playing all the games like he was before for the most part. Uh, by the way, the lines have already been shaken up since Taylor Hall arrived in Arizona. Connor Garland knocked Phil Kessel off the Hall and Dvorak line. Uh, so the lines have been... Like I said, so Garland, Hall, Dvorak, and then Kessel is playing with Stepan and Lawson Kraus, and then Carl Soderberg with Schmaltz and Keller. Uh, Kessel's on a three-game point streak, including a power play assist yesterday. If it was me, I'd probably still sell if you can. He only has three shots in these three games, so he has a point streak going, but seems like a little bit of a mirage. And now if he's going to be off the Hall line, like, I'm definitely not too excited about Phil Kessel. Uh, and then on the other hand, like, uh, Connor Garland, obviously this is a different tier. Like, I'm not saying drop Kessel for Garland, but Garland might be worth a stream next week. Arizona plays four times, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. So two off-day games at the end of the week. Uh, no points yesterday, but Garland had a four-game point streak before getting blanked versus Philly in yesterday's game. Uh, obviously, like, I would still take, like, I think, Keller, Schmaltz, Kessel, probably Dvorak over Garland, but just another guy to watch if you want to stream someone in for next week. Garland is definitely someone you should be looking to stream in if he can might play a few games for you. He's seen above his season average of 13 minutes in three of his last four games, with the highlight being a six-shot, one-goal, one-assist outing against Dallas. Uh, and I'll take a guy playing with Taylor Hall, right? I don't know if he has, if Garland has Palmieri upside, but I mean, I added Jesper Bratt sometimes because he's playing with Taylor Hall, and Connor Garland shoots more than Jesper Bratt. So I am into him as somebody to take for a spin in your lineup. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's lots of options there on Arizona. They have a good schedule next week. So take a look, see if you can maybe bring up a coyote if it's Garland or someone else. Uh, by the way, uh, another one that you might want to consider if you're in a shallower league, Jacob Chikrin has been really good lately. He has eight points in his last 12 games. So if you need a defenseman, especially like just a streamer in a shallow league, like you could probably do a lot worse than Jacob Chikrin. So I'm into him. And I'll even throw out Alex Goligoski's name, who is doing stuff again, seven points in his last 10 games, though not a lot of shots, a few blocks here and there, uh, but someone in deeper leagues, so you might want to try someone like Shikrin's already gone. Yeah, fair. Okay, so lots of interesting options over in Arizona, which is a very rare statement. I feel like there's been years <laughs> of Kevin Carlson where we haven't said that for the whole season. Uh, let's do another goalie injury now. We don't know the severity yet, unless you saw something today, Brian, but Robin Leonard is day-to-day with a knee injury. Uh, so Leonard had started to take over 
over as a starter in Chicago. They talked about it in the Shifty Awards. Ben was saying how like Leonard had gotten a bunch of starts and he was thinking maybe he's going to have a great second half. Uh, so hopefully this injury isn't serious. Uh, but in the meantime, Corey Crawford gets the net again. He'll have another chance to prove himself if Leonard misses time starting today versus Detroit. I guess that game has just started a half hour ago, so maybe we could do an update at some point. But uh, not a great season so far for Crawford. Not terrible, but he has a 905 save percentage. And lately he's been especially bad. Six sub 900 save percentage games in his last eight appearances. Uh, how does your interest in Crawford rank among the Merzlikens and Aiden Hills? I guess we've decided we're not so into Aiden Hill, but like if you have the option now to get Crawford or Merzlikens, let's say it turns out that Leonard is going to be out for a similar amount of time as Corpusalo, uh, who would you be more into of those two goalies? Oh, okay. Uh, this is a tough one. I think, I mean, you're looking at two different situations here. And let me just circle back to Laner for a minute before answering your question, because I just want to share how sad I am that this was the moment he got injured because we'd mentioned on the show. And as you mentioned, it was mentioned in the shifties. Laner was finally starting to see the first steady run of starts anyone has gotten in Chicago this year. Leonard had started six of seven games and he made a relief appearance in the one game he didn't start. So it's a real bummer that Chicago seemed to have finally decided to make him at least their number one A. And now who knows? Like, I just like having certainty and knowing which goalie is favored. But now Crawford has a chance to reprove himself after, well, clearly falling out of favor and deservedly so. Uh, he needs an opportunity like this. Uh, Crawford has had some really rough outings this season. But we did also see a six-game stretch this season where he let up just 11 goals and posted a 948 save percentage. Now, that's just one small slice of what's been a pretty dismal season for Crawford. I still like to think he's got something in him. And if you start the Chicago starter, like if you take Crawford, you're taking someone who's going to get tons of rubber against him and not a lot of protection. Whereas if you take the Columbus starter and Merz Lickens, you're going to get someone who's starting night in, night out, uh, but has an easier workload. I trust Crawford a little more just because he has the track record, but we should also be mindful that Crawford's been through a lot of injuries and maybe he's shown us already this year who he really is, someone who can get hot for a few games at a time. But I'm actually really interested to see if he if he can find a groove too. We talked about Merz Lickens maybe needing several starts in a row to find his game. Maybe that's how Crawford feels too. He's used to being the guy. So I'm very interested watching this opportunity. If I had to pick one guy to try... I think I would go with Merz Lickens. Yeah, Who would you go with? No, me too. Merz Lickens. Like Crawford, we saw last year, was such a train wreck. Like, the whole team was bad. Maybe this year things are a little better. But yeah, I would go with Merz Lickens as well. And obviously, everyone needs to stay tuned and get an injury update on Robin Leonard before we get especially excited uh, one way or the other. And I guess it's kind of bad to say you're excited about an injury. But if you're excited about potentially getting a starting goalie in Crawford, uh, then yeah, you got to first know what's going on with Robin Leonard. Uh, let's mention a couple of things going on on the back end for Chicago. The guys who are trying to help Crawford. Corey Crawford to put better numbers up. Uh, I've noticed that Adam Boakvist has been quarterbacking the top power play in Chicago for the last couple of games. Not sure if you noticed that. It just like, this wasn't even on Roto World or anything or that I saw. I just sort of like was randomly looking at box scores like, oh, that's weird. What happened to Eric Gustafsson being on the top power play? But no, Gustafsson's been bumped to the second unit, which is not really good. It's kind of a bummer, right? Like Gustafsson, I thought he had reestablished himself. I thought we were done with this of like Gustafsson being off the top power play and he was going to be good for the rest of the year, but I guess not. So uh, for now, while this is going on, is it time for people to go and make a speculative ad for Adam Boakvist and see if he can make something of this opportunity? And if you have Eric Gustafsson, do you hold on for a bit or is it time to just swap him out because he's not in a good spot to produce? I think you hold on for a little bit, but not too long, because we've seen Gustafsson 
fall out of favor in Chicago and not be getting that ace deployment that he worked himself into last season. Note that Boakvist has seen more than 20 minutes in two of his last three games. His role seems to be growing. Uh, So if he is available in your league, I would absolutely add him because you don't find top power play quarterback defensemen just sitting there in free agency uh, at the start of the season, let alone in the middle of the year. So anytime someone might be earning that label, you got to give him a shot, especially when defensemen might be so hard to find. And you might be hurting for one. You might have three or four when you'd rather have four, five, or even six on your roster. So absolutely, go give Bokvist a shot and uh, just watch every single game to see if he sticks on that top power play. Because the second he's off, I'm not interested anymore. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I would grab Volkvist if you have room for him. And then as far as Gustafsson, give it like two more games to see if he gets it back. And then if he doesn't, then probably it's time to drop him. Like if Volkvist is doing well. Uh, and yeah, this isn't like a team like the Islanders. You could get their top power play defenseman in free agency in almost all leagues. I wonder if most people even know who it is. I think it's been Devon Taves lately. Or maybe Nick Letty's gotten it back. Like who cares? Totally not fantasy relevant. But this is Chicago, where they have Patrick Kane and De- Brink it, you know, like you want to have the PP1 QB on that team. Uh, I'll mention one more Chicago defense and Brian Connor Murphy has been making some noise lately. Check out the stat line over his last nine games. And again, yes, I'm talking about Connor Murphy, just a guy that I don't know if we've ever brought up on Keeping Carlson before, maybe not for a long time. Last nine games, two goals, four assists, 19 shots, 24 hits, 24 blocks. So that's six points in his last nine, uh, over two shots per game, almost three hits and blocks per game. So he's filling the stat sheet for you. Any idea where all this is coming from? Like all of his rates for these stats were lower before this recent run uh, do you think murphy can keep this up and is worth grabbing in a multi-category league if he's still available he was actually picked in the 11th round of my cigar league draft and i was like wait what and that's what made me look into him some more and realize oh yeah this is a guy i gotta bring up on the show this guy's doing really well Drafted in round 13 of my Cigar League, just ahead of Eric Stahl and Jacob Silverberg and Dylan Strom, the next defenseman to go was Sergachev and then Bokvist. And I actually might prefer Connor Murphy to Adam Bokvist if you are in a league that is going to reward his peripherals. Connor Murphy's hits and blocks. I don't know, Elon, you mentioned you didn't see these similar rates. Maybe you mean per game, but if you do it per 60 minutes and control for how much ice time he's gotten in a game, uh, these hits and blocks for Connor Murphy aren't coming from nowhere. The hits for sure, they're consistently coming per 60 minutes, uh, the same they have been with his career history, and his shot rates are the same as past years. Uh, The difference is that Murphy has more of all these things each game because he's on the ice more than ever before in his career. He's averaging over 21 minutes a night for the first time in his career, which is two minutes more than Murphy saw as a Blackhawk last year. And now he seems to be a mainstay on the Chicago penalty kill, which is more opportunity to get down for blocks and throw some hits. Uh, So great floor for peripherals in Connor Murphy. Uh, The points you shouldn't really be counting on, but if your league is going to value someone with a lot of hits and blocks and shots, in a night like the way Radko Gudas was at one point in his career then Connor Murphy could be a really nice ad for you yeah I agree yeah definitely I was talking about like hits and blocks per game I didn't look into the per 16 I guess you've answered it that's why he's doing better is because he's getting more ice time so as long as that happens definitely very interesting okay more injuries let's go to Buffalo they've also been hit really hard Jeff Skinner out three to four weeks with an upper body injury and now Victor Olafson is out five to six weeks with a lower body injury of his own that he suffered after assisting on a Reinhardt goal versus Edmonton and then he crashed into the boards 
So that's a crappy way to go. At least he went out happy, but now he's going to be gone for a month and a half. Bummer for me, Brian. I had that bet on Olafsson winning the Calder Trophy, and I was actually starting to get a glimpse of hope, especially when Makar missed some time. But now, obviously, that's uh, going down the drain, and Makar's like doing so well. So I'm going to lose that bet. But also, the Sabres lose this great player that's been so good for them, playing with Eichel on the top line and on the top power play. Uh, so yeah, now I guess we have to reassess what's going on in Buffalo. To me, it kind of looks like an everybody gets hurt and nobody gains situation, kind of like what we expected in New Jersey after Taylor Hall left. Though, of course, what actually happened in New Jersey is that all their players are doing better. So maybe is it possible the same thing could happen in Buffalo? Like uh, Sam Reinhardt had actually already started to bounce back from a slow start. Like he has five goals and nine assists in his last 15 games. So he's been good lately. I guess the one player that I was already worried about, and now I wonder if it's going to be even worse for him, is Rasmus. Stalin. He broke a six-game pointless streak with his power play assist yesterday, but still, he had been cold for a while, and he's now down to 22 points in 35 games. That's a 52-point pace on the season. That was after such an amazing start, and now down to a 50-point pace and, like, falling... So what do you think about Darlene rest of season, especially now without Skinner or Olafson to help on the power play? But I think Skinner had already been bumped from the power play. So mainly Olafson, you know, in his great shot, and maybe there'll be fewer power play goals. I don't know. Uh, do you think Darlene is going to stick around this 50-point pace for the rest of the year? Do you think he could get back to what he was doing at the start of the year at some point? Or do you think maybe he'll keep going lower, as indicated by his latest couple of weeks? Darlene set the bar really high with that super hot start, and I think think where we really should expect him to be is what his season long pace is right now, which is 52 points. So for some people, that's a disappointment, but it shouldn't be. Nothing's wrong with a 52 point pace from a sophomore teenage defenseman. I just don't see any reason to think he's going to exceed 52 points the rest of the season by any large margin, especially now that Buffalo is playing without their only two threats on the left side in Skinner and Olofsson, and really two of the only four scoring threats in the entire Sabres lineup. I guess that's the glass half empty version of what to expect for Darlene. The glass half full version is that this is a time for Darlene to step up and pitch in more himself, right? He can put some of that scoring load on his own shoulders and and help pick up points that way. Uh, the realist position here is that 50 odd points from Darlene would be a nice pace for him the rest of the way and I think that's a safe expectation I mean I don't know I I would be worried that it could be lower I guess we'll have to see how Buffalo can adjust with these injuries though I will point out maybe I don't tell me if this is a hot take or not maybe now's the time to try to get Jeff Skinner if you can because he's going to be back before Olafson, which means there will be an opening to play with Eichel right now there's a guy named Rasmus Asplund who's been playing with Eichel and Reinhardt on the top line and then uh, Marcus Johansson has been playing on the top power play so you got to assume that Jeff Skinner gets a crack there when he's back, though I guess I shouldn't be too confident because I was so surprised that he was bumped down in the first place. But yeah, I I would be very interested to see what happens when Skinner is back. He'll have a couple of weeks, at least according to these timelines, to prove himself and show that he deserves to be back on the top line. Maybe he and Eichel could recapture some of that magic from last season. If Olofsson is still out of the lineup and Skinner doesn't get a chance, as Strongbad would say, my head explode. But in the meantime, we have... Asplind, who I will put on my watch list as someone playing on the top line with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt. He's a second round pick, actually, like barely second round, 33rd overall pick in 2016. He's a small guy, 5'11", and he's spent two years as a pro, 49 points in 88 AHL games played, including... 
eight points in 13 AHL games this year. Keep in mind that if you are going for Asplund, he's a pass first player. Um, so he sort of needs to get the puck in a d- dangerous place to be able to pick up a point. Uh, but he hasn't been given any opportunity to do that so far this year. Fourth line minutes, often fewer than 10 in a night. Now Asplund has two 15 minute games in a row. Of course, in those games, no shots, no points on six Buffalo goals that have been scored. So he, that's why he's just a watch. And um, we'll see if he can start feeding Eichel or Reinhardt anything that they can cash in on. Nah, I, I don't know. I'm not even watching. I, let's see. If he does something, I'll notice and then I'll start watching for now. <laughs> like I could see him bumped off that line by the next game. Like So he's not someone that, that's on my radar right now for sure. No points, no shots, no thank you. Okay, but you know what? Yes, thank you to our great logos. Let's just take a quick second before we get to all the rest of our content to one more time thank the great Brandon Weeb for designing our brand new podcast logo and all of the cool logos for our Keeping Carlson podcast network. Uh, So Brandon Weeb is a freelance graphic designer. He specializes in logo design and event branding. He works with different sized businesses, sports team, organization. Why am I telling you this? Because if you need a graphic design or a logo or anything like that, Brandon Weeb can help you. And this is a cool guy. He's been at Patreon and keeping Carlson for a long time. He's running like a cupful team. So clearly, he's a smart, creative person. And, you know, location isn't a barrier. He is somewhere out in the prairies. But through the magic of the internet, you can get his help wherever you are. So I would definitely recommend if you need any sort of graphic design or logos, just like we did, then you want to contact Brandon Weeb. Brian, why don't you tell people a little bit more about Brandon? Yeah, well, we worked with Brandon for our podcast art for our show, plus the other shows on the Keeping Carlson Network. And like, he was so, like, he was invested. Like, he listened to us. He was receptive to us. He took the time to get to know what we wanted. So if you want, like, a little personal touch and to be able to have some back and forth with your graphic designer, Brandon, is perfect that way. Uh, you know who really enjoyed working with him? The WHL's Swift Current Broncos. He designed their home and away jerseys, uh, their logo, their patches, which were ranked the 95th best jersey jerseys of all time from all leagues in the world and this is not something he's just picked up right he's been doing this 11 years he's won awards for his business and brandon would love to work for your sports team or publication or your fantasy team too you can see his work if you're curious including all of our podcast network branding and that amazing broncos jersey on his website brandonweeb.com that's b-r-a-n-d-o-n-w-i-e ebe.com. You can also find him uh, on Facebook at Brandon Weeb GD and on Instagram at that same address. So again, uh, like if you're thinking of any sort of graphic design, just get in touch with him. He'll give you a free estimate. See if he's a good fit for you. Again, BrandonWeeb.com. B-R-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-E-B-E. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Thanks, E-B- Brandon. The, the last E stands for excellent. Yeah, of course. Okay. That's what I used to tell my parents when I got my report card back and they're like, what's all these E's? I was like, okay. Bad joke. Uh, so <laughs> next stop on our Carnage Crusade. Are E's even a grade? I don't know. It's before F. It's a little better I think, than F. I think you go straight from D to F. I don't think there's an E for some reason. Right, Brian. You've called my bluff. I only got A's, <laughs> so I don't even know how it works <laughs> under all those letters. Okay. Uh, 
I had a really fun phrase here. The Carnage Crusade is what we're on because of all of these injuries. I probably shouldn't be complimenting my own uh, terrible turn of phrases here. But we're going to go to Toronto now. Ilya Mikheyev and Jake Muzzin have joined Andreas Janssen on the shelf since we last spoke. Uh, Janssen has started skating, though, so maybe he'll be back soon. Uh, Muzzin is week to week with a broken foot that he suffered versus New Jersey in the last week of December. Then Mikheyev suffered a really scary injury. He got cut by a skate uh, on his wrist. He ended up needing surgery to repair an artery and tendons in his wrist. So yeah, scary stuff. He's going to be gone for a while. I'd say probably not much fantasy impact for Jake Muzzin, but Mikheyev had been skating on the Tavares-Nylander line. So that means that we do have a beneficiary here, and that person seems to be Alex Kerfoot, because he's replaced Mikheyev on this line with Tavares and Nylander, while Hyman, Marner, and Matthews have been skating together on the top line. So a bit of a shakeup in Toronto even before these injuries. Uh, so far, so good for Alex Kerfoot. He didn't get a point in the 3 nothing shutout of the Islanders yesterday, but before that, put up two goals and six assists in his previous nine games. Uh, the Leafs have a nice off-day schedule next week. They play Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, and Tuesday, Thursday, uh, Saturday are all very busy days. So if you want to get a player who's going to get in your lineup in all three days that he plays, Alex Kerfoot might be your guy. So Brian, what do you think? Are you planning to grab him anywhere, at least for the Monday, Wednesday, and then reassess? Like, obviously, I would take uh, Zach Hyman first if he's available. But if not, then Alex Kerfoot is someone definitely on my radar. So why would you take Zach Hyman before Alex Kerfoot? Because... Hyman has been playing in the top six with either Matthews or Tavares like all season long since he came back. So he's like more guaranteed to stay there. And he's just fantastic. That's fair. Uh, His last four games, though, have not been fantastic. In those four games, just one assist, six shots, one hit, one block. That's across four games. But Kerfoot, of course, is not much of a shooter or peripheral gatherer himself. But Kerfoot has proven himself to be a decent complimentary player who is valuable, like Hyman, for his off-day schedule this week. And maybe all the way up until Andreas Janssen is back in the lineup. It is annoying that he never shoots, so it's very much point or bust for Kerfoot in your lineup whereas Hyman might have a better shot at racking up a couple shots on goal or a better shot at hitting and blocking. Uh, Both of them are are good streams, uh, but that's about all they're worth. We had the conversation on Mm. our show a few weeks back about whether Hyman should stay in your lineup, and I'm going to take these last four games as an example for why Hyman is more of a stream than a keep in your lineup. Somebody else, by the way, like there's a lot of deep value in Toronto these days. How about Pierre Engvall, who has five goals in his last 10 games, plus two assists for seven points in his last 10, 19 shots, so about two shots per game in that time. Of course, he's got a high shooting percentage, but someone I'd try out for Monday and Wednesday this week. Or how about Kasperi Kapanen, who has five points in his last five games with 12 shots on goal. This third line in Toronto with Engvall, Kapanen, and Jason Spezza the third, uh, who hasn't really... Uh, no, I'm not even saying sense. it. I'm not even <laughs> saying add Spezza. He's like at the bottom of my list and maybe not. don't even bother with him. But there is some streaming value from the third line if you do miss out on Hyman and Kerfoot as your primary Toronto choices for streaming Monday, Wednesday. Yeah, I don't know, Brian. I feel like Hyman is better than a streamer. It's really funny. Usually, you're I'm supposed to be the guy reacting too much to the recent, uh, you know, stuff that's going on. You're supposed to look at the big picture. Like, Zach Hyman has got 16 points in 24 games, a 55-point pace. He's playing with Matthews and Marner, an amazing line. Like, yeah, he's, what, been cold for four games, and you're ready to be like, that's it, he's a streamer? Like, before 
before that, he was on a 60-point pace. I definitely would consider Hyman a hold in a lot of leagues unless they're super shallow. So I guess I disagree with you there. We could uh, see what happens the rest of the season. But I love the spot that Hyman is in, and I don't expect him to be someone you should want to drop. Uh, so that's why I didn't even bring him up. I thought Kerfoot was just the interesting guy for the week. Uh, so interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see. I'm speaking from a lived experience as a past oh, Hyman owner. Don't listen who- to Brian if he's giving you advice based on past experiences. He told me he'd 100% drop, I'm talking to the listeners here, he told me he'd 100% drop Blake Coleman like a couple weeks ago. No, I didn't. You asked me, you wanted me, you forced me to pick a drop from your lineup. I suggested he might like long term. He's probably the guy who's gonna who has the least chance of helping you weeks or months from now. That's all I said. Yeah, I don't know. I remember I dug into it with you because he had been doing so well all season in this format. And then you were like, "Well, last year I had him, and so that's why." Like you know, like I don't, I don't, I don't trust your experiences. I like when you look into these <laughs> stats, like as a robot, as a fantasy hockey robot, and not with your emotions and stuff. And knowing I had Zach Hyman once and it didn't work out, so you probably don't want him. Suppress all my emotions. Noted. Got it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, next, let's head to Montreal. They also saw two guys join another top sixer already in the IR. So making a connection here with Toronto and Montreal. Uh, so Joel Armia and Brendan Gallagher joined Jonathan Drouin on the shelf. Though Drouin, just like Andreas Janssen might be back sometime soon. Uh, the timeline was supposed to be that Drew Edmund was going to be back sometime in January. We're in January now. Haven't seen any news lately, but uh, watch out for Jonathan Drew Edmund. But in the meantime, he's out. Army is out. Gallagher's out. Uh, Gallagher suffered a concussion after his head made contact with Ben Chirot's knee after he was checked by Jordan Stahl on Tuesday. And then Army is week to week with an upper body injury. Can I just fill in a blank here? I saw an update for Juran and Armia today that says it looks like they're going to target January 27th for their returns. That's one, two, three. That's the fourth fantasy week from today. Okay, so it's going to be a little while without these guys in the lineup. And Gallagher, I assume it's still indefinite since he has a concussion. Yeah, no update there. And I was also trying to figure out, like, he has a at least a bit of a history with concussions, right? Uh, I think he had hand injuries, for a long time. I don't recall the concussions, but maybe you could look that up while I'm giving the update on what's going on in Montreal. So, first of all, regarding Armia, he and Max Domi had been seeing success together, but Domi has been just fine with his new line mates, Arturi Lekkonen and Nick Suzuki. Uh, Domi's assist yesterday versus Pittsburgh brought him to 14 points in his last 11 games. Remember back, you know, a couple months ago, I was being so depressed and asking me, why did I draft Max Domi? He sucks. Now he's like one of the best players on my team, along with Patrick Hornfist. This is my couple team where I have no superstars, but I have a bunch of random guys who I hope can keep this up. Uh, but yeah, Max Domi has been great. So obviously, as long as he can keep this up, this is probably good news for Arturi Lekkonen and Nick Suzuki to be playing with him. Uh, Lekkonen scored twice yesterday. He's been quiet lately. Otherwise, he doesn't get power play time. So maybe the more interesting option here is Nick Suzuki, who has been on a nice run. He has a goal and eight assists in his last eight games, highlighted by a three-assist game versus Florida back on December 29th. Uh, he's also getting used on one of the 50-50 power play units. Uh, so Brian, what do you think about Nick Suzuki. Do you think he could stay relevant for as long as he sticks in the top six playing with Max Domi? He's obviously this highly heralded prospect. The Habs got him back in the Pacioretty trade. This was bound to happen eventually. I don't know if we thought this was going to be the year for Nick Suzuki, but so far looking really good lately. It is great that Nick Suzuki is getting this opportunity just to tie the loop on 
uh, Gallagher. It looks like he's had at least one, possibly two concussions in his career. So like, it's never good the more you have. So I I wish him a speedy return. And we'll talk about him a little more in a second. But first, yeah, Nick Suzuki. This is his second fantasy relevant run of the season. He had six points in six games in a mid-November stretch. But back in that little run, Suzuki was only seeing 15 and a half minutes a night. In this current run, Suzuki's been playing between 17 and 22 minutes over his last six games. And the trend has been ice time has been increasing towards that 22 minute mark, which is really exciting and gives him more opportunity to keep up this fantasy relevance. What isn't exciting is that Montreal has now dropped five straight contests, even with Suzuki's contributions. So you wonder if there's like a shakeup in the future where they're saying, okay, this isn't quite working and maybe his deployment doesn't stay the way it's been. But Nick Suzuki, if he does keep getting these minutes and he keeps getting decent deployment, he's a legit prospect. It's nice to see him starting to show what he can do. I owned him earlier this season when he wasn't doing this much uh, so you might as well consider owning him too when he is doing this much yeah for sure like i thought uh Kotkaniemi would be the first of the two to make an impact but it looks like it's suzuki right now and did you say shake up in montreal well i've got one for you because they went and signed Ilya kovalchuk to a two-way contract so that's very interesting so maybe they're hoping kovalchuk will be the answer to this losing streak uh nick cousins has taken over uh brendan gallagher's spot on the top line hasn't done much with it a uh, one assist in two games playing with Deneau and Tatar. Uh, So maybe now Ilya Kovalchuk will come in and bump Nick Cousins, or maybe he bumps Lekkanen, or who knows what happens with Kovalchuk. Maybe he's more of a bottom sixer who's brought in more as a power play specialist. Uh, What do you think about this Kovalchuk acquisition for the Habs? Kovi is a guy who we know has the ability to score a lot of goals and take a lot of shots and also has the ability to be completely invisible. And I'd be very interested to know your take there. We know that he's in this for real. He paid a Rolex to Brett Kulak in exchange for getting his number 17 jersey number back. So obviously Kovalchuk wants to be number 17 and hopefully he wants to produce and help the Habs break out of this funk. I feel like Rolexes are like the prison currency of the NHL. You don't exchange money or cigarettes. You exchange Rolexes to get favors done. Uh, So thank you. If I got that, what anyway, whatever. I was going to talk more about the watch, but let's talk about Kovalchuk instead and watching him. You put him on your watch list. I love that this is the latest in a line of Russian players added to the Canadians lineup at interesting times in their careers, right? The Habs took on Kovalev, uh, Radulov when he came back to North America, and now they're ready to take on Kovalchuk after it didn't work out with the LA Kings after he came back from Russia. Uh, It's really uh, like, I'm very curious. I have no idea what to expect from him. What I've seen is that expectations are being really tempered around Montreal and the Montreal media. Uh, You know, I don't know if Kovalchuk has a whole lot to offer. When he was on the ice in LA, they were actually worse at generating shots uh, with him on the ice than without him on the ice. But there might have been some other uh, confounding factors there that made it difficult for Kovalchuk and his teammates to succeed while he was on the ice. So I'm curious to see what kind of opportunity he gets in Montreal I don't know if I have like an empty spot or like someone who's just burning a hole in my roster and I'm looking for someone to try out. I try Kovalchuk. Why not? But I think you also need to keep your expectations tempered, knowing that this isn't a place where he's going to reclaim any kind of past form. You're hoping for like a 50 or 55 point pace, I think would be reasonable. No, that would be not reasonable. That would be too high, I think. (laughs) Yeah, if anything. Uh, So you're saying you would add Kovalchuk over like Alex Kerfoot if he's out there? 
playing with Tavares? No, I would, I would add Kerfoot. I would add Garland. I'd add a lot of guys before Kovalchuk. So you're basically giving advice to people in leagues where there's no one out there in free agency. Probably Kovalchuk is owned in all of these leagues. Like, would you take Suzuki or Kovalchuk? Probably Suzuki, right? Uh, that one I might take Kovalchuk just for the winger eligibility. And maybe there's a better chance that Kovalchuk ends up on the top power play. Except right now, Suzuki's there. Although Duran's coming back. Like, there's some moving pieces in Montreal. Um, Ryan Paling right now, by the way. Keep an eye on him. He spent three and a half minutes on the top power play against Pittsburgh on Saturday. Uh, nothing to show for that except four hits in the game. But it was the second most ice time that Paling had seen all season. Uh, he has some bangers value, plus more if he can hold onto that top power play deployment and cash in. But I imagine Kovalchuk might get a chance in the near future to replace either Paling or Suzuki on the top unit. Yeah, I don't know. Like this t- wait, first of all, I think they generally do a 50-50 power play, and the guys getting power play time in Montreal, like Jordan Wheel, Kotkaniemi, like Nick Cousins. Like, I don't know if like Paling being there makes me especially excited about him. But There's I, I, one clear top unit in recent games. Uh, let me read it out to you. It's got all the guys that you think should be on a top unit. It's Tatar and Deneau. I guess that's it. And the other unit has Max Domi. Yeah. So, yeah. What are you talking The other unit has Shea Weber. No, they're two fifty-fifty units. True. Okay. Yeah, the fair. Okay. Uh, this is like weird. This is an episode where I'm being the Debbie Downer and you're being especially <laughs> excited. But you're Kovalchuk of all people. I thought I was the guy who loved Kovalchuk. Me too. too. Much. I was expecting you to like up. Like I, I said fifty and then added fifty-five points just to shield myself from your wrath. You no. love guys like Kovalchuk in his situation. You've loved him for two years. New, hashtag new team, new Kovi. <laughs> I only have room for one former KHL superstar in my heart, and right now it's Nikita Gusev, so I can't be cheering for Kovalchuk right now. Uh, by the way, I guess since we're on the Habs, I will also mention that with Gallagher out, this can't be good for Deneau and Tatar, right? They're losing their star line mate. That has been a good line all season. You famously in the Almanac convinced me that they were the top line on Montreal. Now, I don't know, maybe the Domi line is the top line if we're looking at Deneau, Tatar, and Cousins or something. Deneau, by the way, pointless in four games Tatar is pointless in three games now I've gone from loving to know on my couple team to wondering if maybe he should be my next to go when Crosby comes back and I need to you know finally fill in that roster spot uh I don't know like should I be worried about to know now that Gallagher's out I think I should be and Tatar you should be worried about both of them. I drafted Tatar in the Cigar League today. I was choosing between him and Nick Ehlers, and I don't know if I made a mistake taking Tatar. I think uh, there's a really big drag to Deneau and Tatar's fortunes without Gallagher. They all worked really well together, but I do think Gallagher was the little engine uh, running the whole show. Uh, not the whole show, that, that does take away too much credit from the other guys, but I feel like they're a, a three-part line, and without one of their parts, they might like they're not quite as good as they were before so Tatar and Deneau's value takes a hit uh, d- makes Deneau borderline droppable in my opinion uh, you can wait a game or two just to make sure Tatar I'd still hang on to but uh, definitely be ready to lose a little bit of production from both of them if they're on your lineup with Gallagher not there yeah I'm with you uh, Montreal plays Monday Tuesday Thursday Saturday next week so I'll probably hold for the three games in four days uh, but if after Thursday Deneau still isn't doing anything I might have to let him go for sure uh, more injuries let's go to Anaheim so Ricard Raquel is still hurt no timeline he could be back like next week or could still be out for a while we just don't know with him uh, now poor Andre Kasha has a bone bruise and he's out indefinitely this guy just can't stay healthy uh, with 
with all these injuries, as well as the general suckiness in Anaheim, we've started getting a lot of questions from people asking what to do with a couple big names in Ryan Getzlaff and John Gibson. So let's start with Getzlaff. He started the season solid enough. He had 25 points in his first 31 games, but he's now pointless in eight straight games, and he's picking up minuses by the boatload, much to the chagrin of anyone holding Getzlaff in a league that counts plus minus. He has a minus 11 in his last eight games. You can't roster that guy in a categories league if he's pointless and getting you a minus 11. He's like hurting you more than he helps. Uh, Brian, what's happened to Ryan Getzlaff? Can we just blame the injuries on this one and assume he'll be fine once Raquel is back? Or should his owners start considering dropping him if there are appealing options out there in FA? Like if, if Kovalchuk's out there in FA, maybe it's time to make the swap, right? Getzlaff for Kovalchuk, I don't know, you're giving it more upside from Getzlaff, but I also wouldn't blame you in some leagues, depending on their depth, if you're getting impatient as a Getzlaff owner. Ryan Getzlaff is now playing with Adam Henrique and I think it's Devin Shore. I can't keep track of all the Shores and where they live. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Devin in Anaheim right now. And that's instead of playing with Ricard Raquel and Troy Terry, uh, you know, there really just aren't a whole lot of places in the Anaheim lineup from where one can still produce. Uh, that said, some of this is on Getzlaff. It's really unfortunate. He hasn't picked up a point on any of the last 29 goals the Ducks have scored while he's been in the lineup. There were a couple games that he missed due to illness. I don't know if that affected him. One thing that's definitely affected Ryan Getzlaff is the power play problems the Ducks have been having. Anaheim features one of the least dangerous power plays in the league. They rank 29th in their conversion rate at 14% and have only scored 16 power play goals all season. Uh, so that really hurts. And that's hurt Getzlaff's numbers. I feel like I still like Ryan Getzlaff, uh, but he has just four power play points so far. He's on pace for eight power play points. And if this Anaheim power play does not get fixed, I don't like anything that's happening around Ryan Getzlaff, especially with Raquel on the shelf for an unknown amount of time. So you should be keeping a very close eye on free agency, especially without knowing when Ryan Getzlaff will be reunited of anyone with consequence at five on five and when or if this power play is going to get fixed. Getzlaff is near snoozer status, even with that really great start. Yeah, I, I would be very concerned as a Getzlaff owner. I might consider dropping him in some leagues. You could wait till Raquel comes back and hope that that jump starts him, but they might not even play on the same line. And yeah, it's concerning. And also, like I said, John Gibson, very concerning. He only has one greater than 906 save percentage start in his last seven games. I just picked 906 because that was his best one, except for that one. So like, he's been bad in a lot of games lately is what I'm saying. Like, This is a goalie who we were expecting to be one of the top ones in the league, and he's giving you bad start after bad start. He only also has 12 wins in 31 games, so he's not giving you the wins and he's not giving you good save percentage lately uh are we at the point where we shouldn't be expecting a bounce back from gibson like is it time to sell if you can or maybe even drop him in shallower leagues you know like we talked about merzlikens like if he's out there right now at least for the short term i'd rather have merzlikens over gibson who knows obviously once corpus Allo's back is a different story but if you're struggling now is it time to consider letting gibson go or do you think he has too much upside and all goalies are so random that if you're gonna have a goalie anyways you might as well hold on to john gibson like last year i I will throw out one reason to keep him. Last year, he had a really bad stretch. He had an 882 save percentage through 10 games around like af- around this time that started last year. But then he ended the season with a 926 save percentage in his final 12 games. So clearly, he can be great, but also clearly he could be pretty much useless. So where do you land? If you what what should we say to our Gibson owners, especially if they're? I know you're probably going to say if you're in first place, if you're doing fine, then hold on because the upside is there. But let's say you're struggling, you need to win matchups to stay in contention. Do you hold on or do you let him go? 
You really need to consider letting John Gibson go, which is not something I would have expected to be saying at this point. That's much more surprising than me saying, ah, consider letting Getzlaff go. Gibson, we thought he was a sure thing or as close to a sure thing as goalies are. Of course, Agab, all goalies are bad, and Gibson is a goalie this season. He has been one of the best goalies of the last three years, and he hasn't looked this out of sorts, like, Ever. Compared to his expected performance, Gibson actually did look bad at 5-on-5 five five in 2015-16 in his sophomore year when he performed about the same extent below his expected save percentage to how he's doing this year, but... He was getting better protection and still managed a 920 save percentage, thanks also to some really strong penalty kill work. So he masked the fact very well that he was playing below what an average NHL goalie would have done. But this is already four years ago. We thought it was long in the past. We'd seen three amazing years. And this year in Anaheim, there's no difference this year than the past couple where, uh, like, in terms of how well they're protecting John Gibson, and I haven't seen any kind of explanation for his struggles, which is why I go the hashtag Agab route, compound that with hashtag Anaheim is bad, and it's not a nice outlook for what Gibson can offer you the rest of the season. And Elon, you predicted my answer exactly. I would hold Gibson or even think about buying low on Gibson if you can afford to. But as we get towards the playoffs, and if you can't afford to lose a week because Gibson is just burning a hole in your roster, uh, it may be time to cut ties with all the goals that he's been letting in. And if you do not want to own him again, I would understand. All right. Yeah, it's too bad. And I love the idea of getting the Anaheim goalie because they play on all these off days. So you could theoretically own three goalies and still get most of the starts. But the, the key is that the goalie has to be good and give you like quality starts. And that's why Gibson was so appealing, like going into last season and he was good for a while and he's, he was good for a little bit this year, but yeah, not looking good right now. So sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But of course, don't take anything we say about goalies for with too much like, you know, value because no one, nobody knows. And he could go on an amazing run starting tomorrow, but I, wouldn't count on it at the moment. Uh, let's do a couple outjuries to counteract some of these injuries. Nice news in Colorado. Kale McCarr is back for the Avs. He missed around three weeks, and he has four points in five games so far, so he's picking right up where he left off. Gotta be the Calder favorite at this point. I'm not sure if it's even going to be close. Uh, you gotta throw a shout-out to Sam Girard, who actually seems to have benefited from McCarr's return. He has eight assists in his last three games. He was doing nothing before, and now Girard is, like, you know, the, definitely the top player in the last three games for whatever that's worth. It's interesting because when, you know, McCarr got injured, we thought to ourselves, oh, this might be good for Girard because he could get a shot on the top power play, but he didn't do anything for the most part. Now McCarr's back and he's doing well. So this fantasy hockey is sometimes hard to play. That's what makes it such a fun game, I guess. Uh, Brian, is there any chance that this is for real and Girard will now be worth owning moving forward or is this just a weird blip? You know how badly I want to say, oh yeah, Girard is worth owning. You know, I've been a big booster of Girard. I love him. But uh, Sam Girard, this isn't going to last. On ice, over the last bit where he's had this run in three games, uh, his team scored five goals on 45 shots. So one in nine shots have gone in. That's not going to last. And Girard has picked up a point on all of those five goals. Uh, so that means his IPP is 100%. Uh, look, this is a lovely little stretch. There's nothing there to indicate it'll last or anything meaningful has changed in Girard's game. He's still a very strong defenseman with very good offensive and creative op uh, abilities, but he's not someone who's cashing in a whole lot this year. So I think he's very talented, but uh, he's not going to last. 
Sam, if Sam Girard's biggest fan is saying it's not going to last, then probably it's not going to last. But Brian, by the way, did I miss a reference? I'm seeing here in the chat that you said I do not want to own him again as a song. Is that a, is that a song I should know? I was actually going to sing it a little more, but I, I tripped over myself in doing it. Yeah, it's a third, third eye blind reference. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'll and have... if you do not want to own him again. I would understand. You, you're not, you know it. I mean, I just like ended our podcast by singing goodbye, all listeners. It's been nice knowing you. Actually, it wasn't so bad. Maybe we should have a patron karaoke night sometime and you could do the whole song. That would be a blast. Brian, also in the chat here, Ollie's asking how your couple matchup is going. Oh, that's so rude. I have one of the best scores of the week, probably across all divisions. Of course, he might have the best score or like top three. I just can't close this 25 point gap on him. If only I have like so many players playing right now. I have Taves, Debrinkit, Giordano, Gaudreau, Parisi, and Zuccarello. Wow. They need 25 cupful points in the next, uh, they have. Like, they're all in the second or third period. So I'm really hopeful that they can pull something off. But I've been crushed by Essa Lindell and P.K. Subban and Sam Girard. Like, all like all these guys having the week of their season. So uh, that's been fun. Very frustrating and uh, very rude, Ollie. But thank you so much for being here. And I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'll give a quick update <laughs> since we're looking at scores right now. Corey Crawford's led in a couple goals already on 11 shots. So we'll see how the rest of the game goes. This is against Detroit. Uh, so not a good start for Crawford. Just updating that segment from earlier. Uh, so we're on Colorado here. Aside from Girard, uh, the forwards have been really interesting, right? Jared Bednar has been blendering the lines lately. Yesterday was no different in the 5-2 win over New Jersey. Check out these lines. They had McKinnon with Landeskog and Donskoy, and then Rantanen with Comfort and Burakovsky, and then Kadri on, I guess, the third line with Nieto and Calvert. Uh, we also saw Donskoy get top power play time over Landeskog in that game. Uh, so very weird stuff. Uh, Rantanen, I don't even know how much I'll trust these lines. So this is the what I saw in Frozen Tools. But then I saw on the box scores that Rantanen scored an even strength hat trick in this game. And two of his goals were assisted by Nathan McKinnon, even though they're apparently not playing on the same line. So I have no idea what's going on. Maybe some people are double shifting. I really can't think of a question to ask. Like, Kadri and Landeskog are doing well, even though maybe their lines don't look as good. Or I guess Landeskog's on the top line, but not potentially top power play. Kadri, like, third line. But they're both doing well, so obviously you're not going to be too concerned. Donskoy is still cold, even though he's getting this good deployment. Like, I guess uh, maybe Donskoy makes for a good speculative ad if this sticks. Obviously, if he's going to be on the top line in power play with McKinnon, then you want him. Uh, but, you know, overall, I'm not too excited about him because he's been cold for a while now. I, I don't really have a question for you, Brian. Do you have any hot abs takes you want to drop on us? Well, this is pretty cold, but drop Burakovsky, right? He's snoozing, seeing bottom six minutes, 13 minutes or less for Burakovsky in eight of his last nine games. Uh, Eunice Donsko, you mentioned getting a shot, but not making anything of the present opportunity. But sure, third wheel, not someone you want to ignore if you have an opportunity to stream him. And then uh, Ryan Graves, you also might be snoozing on. Like there's some abs who have made an impression recently that just aren't still earning a roster spot. Uh, but who you could add instead of Ryan Graves is Ian Cole, who has eight points in his last nine games, some blocks and hits along the way, 14 shots. This is kind of tongue in cheek, though. Uh, Ian Cole is not someone who's going to get eight points every nine games, but you should probably consider dropping Ryan Graves. 
Yeah, makes sense. Graves was good while Makar was out. So unlike Gerard, who we thought would be good while Makar was out, it was Ryan Graves. But right now, things are getting back to normal for sure. Brian, by the way, in my Cigar League draft, hope people find this interesting. I had first overall pick, and I went with Nathan McKinnon over uh, McDavid or Pasternak or Ovechkin. I just I went with like who's got the highest average couple points per game so far this season, and it's McKinnon by a decent amount. So I grabbed him, and then you know it's you know went all the way down to fourteen, then all the way back to me, and with the. 28th pick, I got uh, Miko Rantanen. So I'm definitely wow. a big Avs fan right now for the rest of the season if I want to win this cigar league. We can cheer. I have Rantanen on my fantasy team. Let's cheer for him together, Elon. I got McDavid fourth overall in my cigar league. I would have gone McKinnon first. Yeah, McDavid went third in mind. Eichel fourth. Uh, so it was interesting. Uh, you can check out. I think we're posting on the Facebook group all these draft results. It's really fun. We'll reference it a bit more as we go through the show. But yeah, it's really interesting to do this midseason draft. Great job by uh, Ryan M. and Marcus from the Stat Attack for organizing it. We really appreciate it. Uh, okay, so next we've got uh, Alex Edler returned to the Canucks back on the 23rd after missing almost a month. And he's barely seen any power play time, surprisingly. Uh, Tyler Myers has taken over on the second power play. But hey, that hasn't stopped Alex Edler from amassing five assists in his five games since returning he don't need no power play and that brings edler to around a 50 point pace on the season do you think that's a fair expectation moving forward or is that like way too high like, I, I don't think you would ever see a defenseman doesn't get any power play time pace around 50 points uh, like obviously in some leagues it doesn't really matter if he gets like 40 pace or 50 you know whatever because he gets you all those sweet perifs but just in terms of straight up points is alex edler overproducing right now or is what he's doing sustainable He's overproducing, but maybe not by as much as you would think. Alex Edler is benefiting from another half an expected goal per 60 minutes while he's on the ice at five on five, which the Canucks as a team are actually overperforming in actual goals for per 60 minutes. Of course, we can't talk about Edler without mentioning how crazy good his peripherals continue to be. Uh, but going back to his points, I don't see any reason not to expect a 45 point pace rest of the way from Edler, even with the loss of power play time. He has just a modest six power play points so far this year, essentially all coming from the second unit. And that's a reasonable pace for second unit power play deployment. I don't know that he's going to stay off the second unit the rest of the way. I could see him maybe not doubling uh, six to 12 power play points, but still picking up another two, three at least. You know, he's someone who I think is still going to be underappreciated in fantasy leagues the rest of the way, maybe the rest of his career. I passed him up in my cigar draft, and I'm regretting it somewhat. I I saved the injury risk, but I'm sad that I don't get to have Alex Edler in this great production without power play time and those amazing peripherals. Hey, well, if you can't get Alex Edler, maybe is Tyler Myers the next best thing? Uh, He's definitely been doing stuff lately. He scored the game-winning goal over the Rangers yesterday. He also had that big two-goal one-assist game versus Calgary back on December 29th, and he had four assists in four games earlier in December, so he's had some good stretches lately. Like I said, he's taken over on the second power play. He's starting to show up pretty high when I rank my free agents by last 30 days average in a bunch of my leagues. He's still available in a lot of them. Do you think that Myers is worth a bite or will he go back to being not fantasy relevant again soon i'll answer your statement with a fact before this run tyler myers had one point in 23 games so my answer is no don't get too excited the run that myers is on is great it's been largely fueled by five power play goals that have been scored from the second unit that he's gotten in on 
Three of those goals have come from Jake Vertanen. Obviously, it's not normal to have your second power play unit score five times in nine games. It's even less normal for Tyler Myers to be getting in on all these goals every single time. He also has a shorthanded point recently. If you go back a week further before uh, the, the heart of this run he's on, at five on five, Tyler Myers has just four points in his last 16 games. That feels about right to me uh, because he's not going to continue scoring on the power play at the rate he's been scoring. Maybe give him another one or two points per 16 games, but I would be really surprised if Tyler Myers could even approach half a point per game the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, he was so slow at the start, so maybe now he's somewhat rosterable in some leagues as maybe like a 35-point pace guy moving forward. But like you're saying, it makes a lot of sense to not expect the second power play to keep producing like it has been and for him to get in on all those second power play goals. And of course, on Vancouver, I've got to mention, Tanner Pearson had two straight three-point games before going pointless against the Rangers yesterday. Pearson's now up to 30 points in 42 games on the season for a 59-point pace. I think I may have unfairly snubbed him when giving out my Coffee and Cigarettes Award on the Shifties earlier this week. It was this award that I was supposed to give out for the player that wasn't drafted in the Cupful that is actually doing really well and should be drafted in drafts if they were to happen now, like the Cigar League. And uh, I didn't mention him, even though I gave a bunch of honorable mentions but Pearson on like a 60 point pace definitely deserved an honorable mention he's been so good way to go Tanner cool name also (laughs) it's like he's somebody who prepares leather to be worn (laughs) and used in other products uh also all this talk of cigar and cigarettes we don't condone smoking and uh don't do it okay uh but speaking of which, I was really reluctant in my draft to take the plunge on Tanner Pearson. I actually found myself reluctant on a lot of Canucks. Like, JT Miller was ranked really high in our Cup full point setup, and he's someone I wanted. I just didn't know how early I'd need to take him, and obviously he went earlier than I was ready to. Uh, let's see, I have the results here. JT Miller went in the fourth rounds and there's 14 teams so that's a, that's pretty high he went right behind thomas shabbat and ahead of gabriel landeskog and taylor hall and philip forsberg and brock besser but this is the season jt miller's having in a pretty sustainable way tanner pearson on the other hand i think i was right to not buy in on him he's riding a high ipp it's canceled out somewhat by a low five on five on ice shooting percentage but where pearson has really collected sort of what i was saying about tyler myers recently uh tanner pearson's really collected on the power play eight power play points largely from the second unit and now Pearson is pacing for about 16 power play points which is not a normal or sustainable total from the second power play unit in 90% of whatever cases it happens. I like Pearson playing with Horvat at even strength, but you readjust your power play expectations for Pearson the rest of the season, and suddenly he looks a lot more like a 50-point player rather than someone who's approaching a 60-point pace, which makes Sander Pearson a good sell-high candidate, in my Mm. opinion. So anyone who owns him, see what you can get back. I mean, like, yeah, like Dave is saying here in the chat, like, who's out there trying to buy uh, Tanner Pearson? Like, maybe he's like a throw-in on a trade. Like, you're trying to, you know, offer a little more to get the guy you want. You could throw in Tanner Pearson. Someone might look and say, oh, actually, that's a pretty nice throw-in. Okay, I'll take that. But like, yeah, I don't think people are going to trip over themselves to take Tanner Pearson off of your hands. He's still a free agent in a couple of my leagues. But yeah, interesting to know that you don't think he's going to keep it up. That's fair. But I still want to give him his kudos because they're very well-deserved. We weren't expecting this season from him going into the year. So I guess, Brian, that's it for the injuries and outjuries. 
thankfully. Well, more outries would be nice. I'd love to see Crosby and Atkinson back next week to start. Uh, but let's get to some hot streaks and cold streaks to end the show. And I want to start in New Jersey, where, like I said before, the Devils have actually been a lot better than expected since trading away Taylor Hall, a move that we assumed meant that they were giving up on the season. But now they're pretty good. Like, yeah, they lost on Saturday 5-2 to two to Colorado. But before that, they were doing really well. They won 3 of 5. They One of those losses was an overtime loss to Toronto. And all of a sudden, there's like a lot of fantasy-relevant players on the Devils lately. Like, first of all, Mackenzie Blackwood has been a huge volume starter lately with Demang injured and, of course, Schneider in the minors. Yesterday's game was his sixth in a row. So we're looking at another Corpusalo slash Merzlikin situation here in New Jersey. And Blackwood, he's been up and down on the year. Like, he has a 908 save percentage overall, but a 923 save percentage over his last 11 games. Brian, do you think Blackwood is a goalie that people can rely on for the rest of the season to play a ton and for the most part not blow up their stats? Like, yeah, it's still the Devils. He's going to have some bad games. But I feel like if you want a high-volume starter, seems like he's not so, so bad. Seems like maybe he's worked out some of the kinks from earlier in the year. Oh, but I guess maybe that question is more about the Devils overall, right? Because they're looking a lot better now than they were earlier. So has something changed? Or do you think the bottom's about to fall out and this whole team's going to be a disaster, including Blackwood? Well, you asked if we could rely on him for a lot of starts. And the answer to that seems to be yes. And then you said, and good rate stats. The answer to that, uh, no, I wouldn't want to be relying on him for that. The best sort of outlook I can give for Mackenzie Blackwood is maybe like a Miko Koskinen type outlook where, you know, he can get hot for a bit, but is more likely than not to fall off and not be able to keep it up. Plus playing behind a team that's not so great and doesn't have a great chance to win every night. The Devils are actually offering worse protection lately than they were at the start of the year for their goalie, and Blackwood has not proven he's a guy who can beat his expected save percentage numbers. So if his expected save percentage is going down, uh, so his his own save percentage in tandem. But volume alone might be reason to try Blackwood out on your roster. We look at his potential challengers, Louis Domingue, who we were like, okay, maybe the Devils will try him. Uh, one in four record in the NHL with the Devils this season and an 862 save percentage. Corey Schneider, an 887 in the AHL this season. So there's really no one on the horizon to take starts away from Mackenzie Blackwood, which is why if you're looking for saves, you can go with him. If you're looking for anything else, well, good luck. Yeah, I mean, but he's been so good lately. I guess you're saying that you don't think he'll hold up. And, I, and that, like I said, that you got, I, my main question to you is, is there something different happening in New Jersey? Like, I know overall on the season he's been bad and the Devils have been terrible, but lately they're looking a lot better since they traded Taylor Hall somehow. You know, they started looking better offensively and somehow is definitely the key word. Like, I don't know how it was happening, uh, but good for them to be able to do that. Uh, but on the whole, they're still a lousy to mediocre team at best. Uh, they're, like I said, when their defense is worsened, it's nice that their offense has improved, but they're still like an equally bad team the way that all washes out. I'm not seeing them as being a legit threat to do more damage in the in the standings in the second half of the season than they did in the first. Okay, fair enough. The nice thing, though, about a team that lets in a lot of shots and high-danger shots and whatever, or maybe not high-danger shots, but like Blackwood let in four goals yesterday and still got me positive points in uh, the couple. Actually, I don't have him, but he got a positive points in the couple. So, you know, if you make enough saves, it could make up for some goals against. So we'll see moving forward. Like you said, 
he's definitely good for volume, so you have that. And let me throw out some numbers of some of the Devils forwards lately as guys you might want to start considering grabbing if they're available in free agency. First of all, at the top, Nico Hishir, six points in his last five games, centering a top line now with Palmieri and Zaka. Initially, Jesper Bratt was there, but he's injured now. Kyle Palmieri, by the way, four goals and five assists in his last 10 games. We thought that he was going to, you know, completely fall apart with Hall out. No, been the opposite. Same with Hishir. Uh, then you have Blake Coleman, who I've already talked about, potentially one of my best, a couple ads of the season after David Perron. Uh, four goals and one assist in his last eight games, playing with Gusev and Zajac, but crushing it in peripherals. 37 shots in his last eight games. That's crazy. He probably deserves even more goals, I'd imagine. Uh, he had seven shots yesterday versus Colorado. Huge hits numbers. Bankers MVP, Blake Coleman. Uh, then I'll throw out some more names to you, Brian. Uh, my BFF, Nikita Gusev, 10 points in his last nine games. He's clearly settled into the NHL. Uh, basically, we told you a few episodes ago that you should probably be starting to add Nikita Gusev. It's probably too late now in a lot of leagues. Uh, you've got Sammy Vatnin, eight points in his last seven after his power play assist yesterday. Uh, interesting to note on this new Jersey top power play. Uh, Damon Severson has joined Vatnin on the top unit. Uh, Subban got there for a little bit, but looks like he's off. Severson had a decent run a couple weeks ago, but it's cold in his last three. But, you know, maybe someone to watch. And hey, even P.K. Subban has put up somewhat modest numbers, I guess, four points in his last eight games, uh, bump from the top power play now. So I guess that's my Devils roundup. They play four times next week. So if any of these guys are out there, they might be people to consider. Maybe not Severson or Subban, but I'm into all these other guys. What do you think? Are you expecting a crash offensively? You said you expect a crash defensively soon. What about offensively? Do you think it's like it won't be long before Paul Mary and Heshear and Gusev and all these guys are going to stop producing like they have been? It's nice for the Devils' fantasy prospects that they're uh, letting go of their defense in benefit to their offense. I just, I you know, I truly don't know what to make of the Devils. We got them so wrong out of the gate, and it is weird that their expected goals rates are actually on the up since a haul has moved on, and we haven't seen enough to know whether this is just a blip or if it's sustainable. But while they're doing this, whatever it is that they're doing, yeah, go get Gusev. Uh, Vatnin's already gone. His year should already be gone. Those three guys are my favorite devils. Coleman has that great floor and making good with points thanks to some extra secondary assists that he's been picking up. Uh, and that floor, of course, is because of peripherals. And P.K. Subban, uh, the bane of our fantasy season, once again, he might be worth a try, but still not getting the opportunity he really needs to be a lock-in guy on your roster to at least even get an opportunity in your roster. If he was a free agent, I own Vatnin. I wouldn't swap Vatnin out for Subban, which is just a crazy thing to be saying. Uh, I never thought I'd be saying that at the halfway point of the 1920 season, but here we are. What a weird year for the Devils. Yeah, at this point, it wouldn't even be close. Like, Vatnin, it seems like a hold for the rest of the year for sure, and Subban, we'll see. We had a question in the chat about, like, he asked for a trade, or I, I, I didn't see that or anything, but I don't think he will get traded. He has a contract that no one's going to want. So, yeah, P.K. Subban, eh, he's doing a little bit better now. Let's, let's see what happens with him moving forward. But yeah, Vatnin's been great. Uh, so that's the Devils. Here's another random person, I guess, doing well. I don't know. The team's not doing so well, but how about Aaron Dell over in San Jose? He's gotten six of the last nine starts for the Sharks, and he's been doing fantastically. He's had over a 913 save percentage in all but one of these last six starts that he's gotten. Uh, Dell's won two in a row after beating Columbus yesterday. Though, to be fair, Martin Jones only let in one goal in each of his previous two games going into today's game versus Washington, where he 
did not play well. So Martin Jones, another stinker today. Looks like he let in, let's, let me bring this up here, let in five goals on 29 shots. Ouch. So maybe San Jose could have won this game if they got better goaltending. Oh, although I did hear that there was like really bad refing. I, I saw there was some like buzz about how the refs made a bunch of mistakes. But either way, they scored an empty net goal with a minute left and they still managed to lose. Oh, rough. Well, yeah, just Martin Jones, I don't trust him, which makes me more interested in Aaron Dell, who seems to be doing pretty well now. Do you think that there's a chance that Dell is going to be the starter the rest of the way? And if he is, how do we compare him to some of these other guys we've talked about before, like the Crawfords and Merzlikens? Uh, is Dell in the same league as these guys? Maybe even better? Like the San Jose team, like on paper, they look good. They have a lot of good players. They've been bad. I read this good article by Victor Nuno over on Average Time on Ice. Uh, they have a blog, averagetimeonice.wordpress.com. And he wrote about the Sharks and lots of pretty charts and graphs, like the type of article that you would really like, Brian, heat maps and the like. And he wrote at the end that he'd be willing to put a bet on them potentially pulling a St. Louis Blues and having a much better second half this year. Uh, what do you think? Is there anything to the Sharks? Anything to Arendelle? Is there anything to Arendelle? I don't, you know, this is a situation that I think is just going to go back and forth all year. Uh, Martin Jones, up until today, and maybe still, I, I haven't seen the updated numbers, but he'd actually been the better goalie since the coaching change, but not by a lot, right? They've been close enough that you're able to say, well, they've both been letting the team down equally or having a random good game equally. But what we know about Dallin Jones is that neither one is proven. They can play well consistently. So I would be pretty concerned about owning either one. I feel like you're just going to have one half of a tandem that's likely to blow up your numbers more often than not. Okay, so in our rankings that we've been making where you had Merzlikens as number one and Crawford as number two while their starters are injured, would you want both of those guys over Aaron Dell or would you go with Dell? No, I would take them both over Aaron Dell. Maybe he'd slide above Crawford depending on the severity of Laner's injury. But if Laner is out for a week or two, I'll ride Crawford. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Dell's been good lately. I would be interested to see what he could do with a string of starts. He was good like a couple years ago. I remember we were thinking maybe he would steal the job. And then obviously he went and struggled. Uh, I like that he's doing well now. Let's see if he could keep it going. Uh, let's do a couple more goalie situations. A lot of weird stuff happening in the league lately. Braden Holpe has been terrible lately, pretty much for the season. For Washington, a three straight really bad starts going into today's game versus San Jose, where Holtby played and he got the win. But, you know, uh, three goal. Oh, only three goals against on 28 shots. Oh, right, because there was an empty net goal uh but still not a great game for Holtby and meanwhile Ilya Samsonov he's been fantastic in the majority of his starts lately he's riding a 918 save percentage on the season compared to Holtby's 902 uh, that was going into today so it's gone down maybe down to like 900 or something is it just a matter of time before Samsonov pulls a 2017-18 Grubauer and steals Holtby's job down the stretch of the regular season like of the various goals we've discussed I'd be curious now to know where Samsonov ranks and someone you'd be interested in adding compared to the Dell's Crawford's Merzlikens of the world. He's up there, right? Because we know the Capitals aren't shy to let a goalie steal starts from Braden Holtby. And this is a great time to see if Samsonov can jarry his way into a string of starts for the Caps. Uh, keep in mind, Washington doesn't quite offer the same protection for their goalie that Pittsburgh does. So it may make that task harder for Samsonov than it was for Jari. But it's still definitely possible that Samsonov can make this happen. He has been the better goalie in every way this year uh, compared to Braden Holtby. Holtby continues to struggle this season. Last year, we were just like, 
you know what? This is one of the toughest workloads. Uh, Holtby has faced. Give him a chance. Uh, he was let down by the team in front of him. But then you look at what he's done, uh, like this year. And you start to wonder, maybe Brayden Holtby is someone who gets overwhelmed by a tough workload, and he's someone who really excels when the workload is manageable and good, but when uh, the tough gets going, Holtby's numbers also get tough. Uh, I botched that entirely, but you know what I'm saying here. Uh, I don't have like any degree of certainty that Braden Holtby can fend off Ilya Samsonov the rest of the way, and he's absolutely worth a shot. I would try him ahead of Corey Crawford. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. And yeah, that's the thing. But also, Washington is just doing so well. They're 29-9-5 on the season. They got the win today, even though Holtby wasn't great. So it just goes to show that they have the luxury of trying to help Holtby, you know, get better and figure out what, what he's doing, because they probably want him to lead them into the playoffs. Though it does seem like Samsonov is the better goalie at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But in the meantime, you got to imagine Samsonov at least gets the next game. And then I guess we go from there. But yeah, he's definitely deserving. He He's having a really good start to his career over in Washington. And definitely they have no reason to extend Braden Holpe, give him a big contract because Samsonov's doing so well. Uh, so yeah, another interesting goalie situation is over on the Islanders. Thomas Grice has now sat for four games in a row as the Islanders have abandoned their alternating strategy. They've been rolling with Varlamov game in and game out lately. And it makes sense. Like Grice has hit a bit of a rough patch. He had two really bad starts where he got pulled versus Nashville and Chicago out of his last three games. And meanwhile, Var- Varlamov has been phenomenal. He has four straight quality starts, not giving Trotz any reason to change his mind about going back and putting Grice in the net. So, Brian, what would you do if you were a Thomas Grice owner at this point, if those guys that we've been talking about are available? Like, is it time to consider dropping Grice for a Merzlikens, Crawford, uh, now Samsonov? Or do you hold on because maybe Grice starts going back to getting half the games? There's always a chance Varlamov will get injured and then you'll regret having dropped Grice. But I don't know. At this point, you're you're holding on to a goalie who didn't even play once last week. I don't know if you could justify doing that if you're trying to win. It's really hard to justify that, especially when you look at Varlamov's numbers and you see that he's really found his form. This is the second time in the last three years that Varlamov has soundly outperformed his expected numbers. Mind you, Thomas Grice has been equal in just about every way, but it looks like the Islanders were like, hey, uh, it just takes one skid to open the door for the other goalie to to take charge, and Grice stumbled, and apparently that's all they needed to happen to give Varlamov more time. And I don't know why they'll sit in for as long as he's on fire, but I could see a circumstance down the road where Varlamov does get injured or does stumble himself, and they go back to a timeshare. I feel like this isn't going to be the way it is the rest of the season, but in the short term, there's no reason to own Grice unless you're in a really deep goalie league and you can afford it, like it's worth it to you to have Grice barely playing on your roster for two or three weeks before he gets that timeshare back. Yeah, if he does. It's not a guarantee for sure. But yeah, tough for the Grice owners. I was loving him. I had him in a bunch of leagues. I bought this Islanders hat that I'm wearing right now. And now I've dropped him in all but one of my leagues, which is like you said, a really deep goalie league, the PHL, where I, I at least not yet, I can't justify dropping Thomas Grice, but I'm starting to think about it for sure. Uh, then over in St. Louis. Okay, so that's it with goalies. Let's get to some interesting line combinations and players on hot streaks. Like, uh, I gotta talk about Jaden Schwartz because the Blues have shifted up their lines. They've split up Shen and Schwartz, which has been great for Jaden Schwartz because he's gotten to move up and play with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron on the top line 
definitely working out well for Schwartz. He's on fire at the moment. His goal yesterday versus Vegas brought him to 13 points in his last nine games, which brings Jaden Schwartz up to a 69-point pace on the season and rising fast. So great news for Jaden Schwartz. How big of a steal did I get, Brian? Because I grabbed him at the end of round eight in my cigar draft yesterday. The left wings drafted before him included like Arvidsson, Jamie Benn, Dabrinkit, Duclair, Nugent Hopkins, Radulov. Is it crazy that I'd maybe take Schwartz over all of these guys? Or maybe I might just pumping myself up too much and I'm about to be disappointed with your answer. I think you're about to be disappointed with my answer. I, I don't know that you should feel so good about your Jaden Schwartz pick. He was picked in the 10th round of my cigar, which I'm pretty sure is after yours. Like, I'm looking at the guys who are drafted after him. Yeah, I said in the 8th round. Okay, yeah. So there you go. Uh, you know, Schwartz looks great, but it's on the heels of some really unsustainable numbers for starters. His five goals on his last 15 shots and only 15 shots in his last seven games. Those aren't big goal scoring type numbers or, of course, percentages. Even the best goal scorers aren't going to score on one of every three shots they take. And like I said, I really don't love a lot of what I see for Schwartz when I'm checking his numbers for sustainability. He has a career high IPP of 90%, which is like even higher than what we expect from elite players. He's generally been in the 75 to 80% range, which is great, but the extra 10 to 15% he's added onto that just screams to me like it's not going to last. Then you look at his expected goals, lowest number of his career, even though he's had success scoring goals at even strength this year. His on-ice shooting percentage is kind of low, so you might want to give him some uh, some credit back and say, okay, well, that washes out with some of the positive uh, variants he's been seeing. But even still, I'm, I'm sort of reluctant to give him a whole lot more than uh, I want to give him. So I would prefer, like, who did you see was drafted after him? You're going to do me like this, Brian? I thought we were friends. Uh, <laughs> I said, like, Arvidsson, Ben, Dabrinkit, Duclair, RNH, Radulov. I mean, I didn't have the choice, right? They were taken before. I was excited oh. to still have Schwartz when all these guys had gotten taken. Okay, so yeah, I would definitely prefer all of those guys what? to Schwartz. I wonder who you got just after him, or who was drafted just after him. Brian, also, like, first of all, all this stuff you're saying about how his underlying numbers don't look good, you haven't even referenced the fact that he's now playing with Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, two That's like good. of the hottest players in the league. He's like an amazing top line. If he sticks there, I don't see why that can't balance out any bad variance he's had to keep up at least a 70-point pace. And these other guys, Arvidsson's been on and off all year. Jamie Ben, we've talked talked about Debrinket hasn't been like so great uh Duclair like obviously he's been good but who knows if he could keep it up he's never done it before Nugent Hopkins like I don't know I I you're saying it's like you definitely want all those guys over Jaden Schwartz right now Schwartz is the hottest one and I'm happy I'm not gonna let you ruin my vibe okay you're killing my vibe and I don't like it so let's just move on Let's move on. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's kill the vibe of any Braden Shen owners because they're losing Jaden Schwartz, who I guess not a big loss, according to Brian. But now Braden Shen's line mates have been uh, Tyler Bozak and Robert Thomas, at least in the last game. So that's not good. And Shen is now pointless in three games after he was on a really nice run. So should Shen owners start to panic? Like, do you think he can still keep up the 65 point pace that he's on right now, even without Jaden Schwartz as a line mate and playing with the Bozaks and Robert Thomases of the world? Or are you not worried since you'd expect another shakeup to come soon? They did lose their last game in OT to Vegas. So maybe something happens, but I really don't like the spot for Braden Shen right now. 
Oh boy, yeah. I don't like this look for Braden Chen at all. I liked him with Jaden Schwartz, even overperforming Jaden Schwartz. I would happily take that over Bozak and Robert Thomas. The good news for anybody holding Shen is that he's doing well on the top power play, right? 12 power play points in the first half of the season, and he still gets that top power play time. And if he cashes in on that, that's going to be his saving grace in the second half to keep him from falling into fantasy irrelevance if these lines hold up, which I don't think they will. But it's definitely a curiosity. And as a Shen owner, you've got to at least be having a healthy amount of concern if this does stick for more than a week or two. Yeah, obviously, just like with the Gustafsson Bokvist situation, you don't want to overreact when the lines could change back any day now. But if this does last for another week, I would be very nervous. As a Shen owner, I'd be looking to maybe trade him if I can before people realize that he might not be able to continue what he was doing back when he had a good line mate. Uh, so, Brian, next up, I guess here's a guy who you probably will say I should have taken over Jaden Schwartz in your favorite, Zach Parisi. But by the way, that was sarcasm. I noticed, right in your podcast with Marcus, you said a lot of sarcastic things that like I knew because I know your opinions but I don't know if it really came off that way because you say I don't think you use a sarcastic voice when you say sarcastic things I don't know if you've realized that but I thought it was interesting when I was listening to it I have a deadpan delivery I guess I confuse people in person also sometimes maybe something to work on if only there was a real life sarcasm font Right, of course. Okay, but I will... Wait, what's the fake... Sar- like, what's the non-real-life sarcastic font? Like, well, italics? the joke is that people usually say that, they like, we need a sarcasm font on Twitter or whatever. Oh, I didn't know that joke, but that would be kind of handy. I guess it's a cold take, but... <laughs> so, Zach Parise, I know you don't like him more than Jaden Schwartz, but you do really like Zach Parise, but he has cooled off a bit since the last time we talked about him. He had an assist yesterday versus Winnipeg. That still leaves him with no goals and three assists and 12 shots only in his last six games. Uh, though I do see that Minnesota's playing today, and they're beating Calgary 4-3, to three, and Zach Parise has an assist. So, maybe I shouldn't even bring him up. Just curious to know, like, he's a free agent in a couple of my leagues. He's been dropped recently, so I wanted to know if you're still super high on him. Should I be rushing to add him? Or is he the type of guy that's gonna go hot, gonna go cold? But in the end of the day, his 49-point pace on the season is probably what you were gonna expect. It seems that way. I don't see any reason to expect a whole lot more from Parisi this year, which is really sad. Of course, he's had like a really, he's had a great a sandwich with great meat this season and the worst bread. And what I mean by that is that this the start of the season was bad. The most recent stretch was bad. But in the middle, he had this really great stretch that showed the Zach Parisi we hope still lives on somewhere and that we see again. It seems like no one in Minnesota has really been able to catch fire this year. One reason that Parisi hasn't been able do as much as he has in the past is that he's lost a fair amount of ice time. He's down to just 17 minutes a night, which is a minute and a half less than he had last season in his 68-point season. And it's not so shocking to see him go back to a 50-point pace because that's where he'd been in the two seasons before last season's re-breakout at, what, age 34? Um, so I would love to have seen him not fall all the way back down to a 50-point pace, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of reason to believe he can get back above that. And really the main reason for that is just like a huge drop in his shot rates this season, like a really discouraging drop in his shot rates. They've gone down not quite a third, uh, maybe about a quarter, which isn't good. Like that's not what we like to see, especially if he is losing minutes at the same time. So Parisi losing minutes and doing less with the ones that he actually has means that he's entering fringe own territory, except his deployment is still pretty good. Yeah, he's playing with Fiala on that, I guess, second line, with you, if you consider the Eric Stahl line the top line. Uh, but yeah, 
not great, not terrible. Maybe I'll consider adding him if there's an opening. Like Minnesota plays on a lot of busy days, which makes adding any of their players a little less appealing. Uh, especially Jared Spurgeon, who we had someone ask us. It was a patron, Adam, wanted us to bring up Spurgeon. I said we would. Uh, pointless in eight games, even with like big minutes and power play deployment. Today, he does have an assist. So just like Parisi, maybe breaking out of a bit of a funk. But overall, like I thought Spurgeon would be good for like a 40, 45 point pace when he came back from injury, but he's been completely useless. Probably dropped in most of our listeners leagues uh i put him on my watch list on leagues where he's been dropped i don't know if i'm rushing to add him at this point but he's a guy who usually is better so do you see anything under the hood to indicate that spurgeon could get back to being like a half point per game defenseman soon not really and the main reason is because he's lost two minutes per night at five on five believe it or not his even strength scoring is super similar to where it's been the past few seasons uh he's just playing two minutes less or even two and uh, change minutes less than he has in those seasons where he was really good. Also, he's not getting the same production on the power play. Like he's never been a steady top power play guy, but he's gotten turns up there and he's been able to get into like, you know, 12, 13 point territory. This year he's pacing for like, Eight. So that's another place where he's taking a hit. Usually he's able to score on a greater percentage of his shots as well. Uh, that shooting percentage has gone down. So maybe that's a place where he can catch up from his current 36 point pace up to maybe a 40 point pace. But I don't think you should hope for a whole lot more than that, given his huge uh, cutback in minutes. Okay. Well, I asked if he is good for a half point per game and you said no, but then you said 40 point pace maybe. So that sounds like <laughs> yes. So keep him on your radar if uh, you're in a deep league, it sounds like. Yeah, I think that would be the over-under marker uh, if you want to make a bet, uh, Like, but I would take the under. Okay, that's fair. Uh, by the way, in this Minnesota versus Calgary game, uh, David Riddick not doing well. Again, four goals against. I didn't have this uh, slotted in to bring up. I think they've mentioned him on the short shifts a couple of times. This is his third straight bad game in a row. Calgary, like this is their window. They need to do well. And I wonder if Riddick isn't cutting it. Like I'll be very interested to see at the trade deadline if the Flames maybe go for a goalie. Just a, just a random thought I've had. I think I've heard it mentioned a couple of times. Uh, I, I don't know. Any thoughts on David Riddick or another goalie? that you can't rely on. If, if any goalie's doing well, that means soon he's going to start not doing well. The dirty little secret in Calgary is that Cam Talbot has actually been the better goalie so far this season, if you're looking at expected goals saved above average per 60 minutes. So that's reason to try playing Talbot a little more often. Like, you see just a huge disparity in their start, and you're like, oh, well, Riddick's been more reliable. Why do you think they keep throwing him in the net? Actually, it's been about the same. Where Talbot has really suffered has been shorthanded. That's killed his numbers and probably killed whatever favor he had with the coaching staff. But maybe uh, if he gets an opportunity to rebuild that favor and is able to hold the fort on the penalty kill, we could see a change in who's getting the majority of the starts in Calgary going forward. And that's a big thing for me to say, because at the start of the year, I would not even entertain the possibility that Cam Talbot would be the 1A guy. Uh, You were very much Team Talbot. I was very much Team Riddick. Now that we've seen what half a season looks like, it's time to give Talbot a shot. Yeah, give Talbot a shot or maybe give someone else a shot uh, at the trade deadline. So we'll have to see what Calgary does with uh, Riddick struggling right now. Yeah, they probably need to fix their offensive situation too. Like they've been miserable offensively and they don't seem to be on track to solve their problems either. So you also can't put any of this on their goalie, right? They're going to need more than a goalie to 
put this season back on track and salvage something from it. Yeah, well, hey, they're uh, only losing by one right now. Ten minutes left. And to Minnesota. Four- to Minnesota. So maybe they'll bounce back and score a couple goals and win it 5-4. Uh, good luck, Calgary Flames. Uh, but let's go to their province rival, Edmonton. The Oilers called up Kyler Yamamoto recently, and they shook up their lines, putting Yamamoto with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Leon Dreisaitl, uh, leaving McDavid to play with Zach Cassian and James Neal. So great spot for Yamamoto all of a sudden. And hey, he has a goal and an assist and six shots in the three games he's played so far. Also 11 hits. I didn't even realize that he was a hitter. But uh, there you go. So that's something. Is Yamamoto someone you take a flyer on to see how he does on his line with Dreisaitl? Like, uh, would you prefer to gamble on Yamamoto over Kovalchuk for next week? Yeah, I would try Yamamoto over Kovalchuk. He's someone we've been excited about any time he gets a chance in the NHL. And this is his latest one. And every time he gets up uh, and gets an audition, it's like, oh, yeah, Yamamoto looks good. He does a lot of the little things well, looks great out there. Uh, I like that he's got a couple shots per game, even though his ice time has been less than 15 minutes on average. So there's reason to hope that Yamamoto could be worthwhile. And I think his upside might be better than Kovalchuk's so long as he stays alongside Dreisaitl or McDavid. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would grab Yamamoto for next week before Kovi. Uh, great news, obviously, for Ryan Nugent Hopkins getting Dreisaitl on his line. And RNH has responded with seven points in his last six games. So if Nugent Hopkins had been dropped in your shallower league, now would be the perfect time to add him he's obviously on the top power play now he finally gets a good line mate maybe two if we're into Yamamoto so I'm definitely into RNH I tried to get him in my fantasy hockey podcast league that I'm participating in it's a weekly ads league and it's kind of shallow and I put an ad for him I got outbid so I got Nico Hishir as my backup bid so not too terrible but uh, RNH definitely in a good spot right now and I guess I should say you could do worse than James Neal since he's playing on the top line with McDavid but I don't know I get like Galchenyuk vibes from him right now like I just really doubt that he'll be able to even stay up there and even if he does I kind of doubt he's going to put up great production but he did have that amazing hat trick versus the Rangers on New Year's Eve aside from that he's pointless in his other of his last six games so I'm not overly into James Neal but obviously if you're playing with McDavid then that's a pretty good streamer just because of that yeah, and he does get turns on the top power play, too. Last game, it looks like Alex Chiazon was also getting some time there. So, yeah, you need to be wary of that with James Neal. But as a streamer, not a bad guy to have. He's not someone I'd want to hold on my roster, though. Dave Benton from the Stream Scheme is here in the chat room. He's pointing out that Edmonton doesn't have a good schedule next week. I guess he would know. That's his expertise. They do play on Monday, though. Monday, Thursday, Saturday. So you could always stream in a Yamamoto for Monday and then reassess after that. So at least you have that. And then, yeah, for the rest of the week, you might not be able to get your Edmonton streamer into your lineup. But hey, if Yamamoto, I I don't know, I might be into him. If he sticks with Dreisaitl and Ryan Ryan Nugent Hopkins, then that might be a guy you end up holding for more than just one week. Uh, Okay, let's talk about Essa Lindell. I'm going to get into some guys who haven't been good for a lot of the year but are finally doing great and Esselindell is definitely one of them because he had three assists yesterday versus Detroit also had an assist in each of his previous two games that makes eight assists in his last 10 before that he only had eight points in his first 32 games on the season and Esselindell is someone that was drafted in most leagues he had a pretty decent year last year was great for peripherals I was surprised when he was getting dropped in my leagues early on until I realized oh yeah this was for good reason now he's starting to turn it on offensively any chance this is for real or is this more of a Sam Girard situation and we should expect him to stop producing offensively any game now. The only reason it happened is because I'm against him in the cupful this week. So that's why Esselindel went on this little run. It's going to end very soon. Uh, Look, last year he was a 30-point player. The year before that, 
a 30-point player. He's someone who can get you maybe a couple shots, a couple hits, a couple blocks a game. Outside of that, you really shouldn't be expecting much offensive production. Okay, so I brought up Tyler Myers before. Who should I add? If I need a defenseman, it's a deep league. Am I grabbing Myers or am I adding Lindell? Uh, someone else. Ian Cole. Because <laughs> these are the guys at the top of my, when I sort by last third. What about 30? Connor Murphy? Yeah. Or Adam Bokvist. I'd add either of those guys ahead of these two. Hmm. Okay. I guess this is like a boring conversation for the majority <laughs> of our listeners. Uh, Tampa Bay switched up their lines recently, which is not great for Alex Killorn owners. Uh, in the end of the last game, and then for all of today's game, they had Point, Kucherov, and Stamkos back together. So they loaded up their top line for this game today versus Carolina, which they won 3-1, to one, so maybe they're going to keep that going. That left Tyler Johnson to play with Palat and Sorelli on the second line, and then Alex Killorn on line three with Pat Maroon and Cedric Paquette. What what are they doing to Killorn? He's been so good this year. This is how they reward him? They bump him to the third line playing with a couple of nobodies? Uh, I don't know, Brian. Uh, perhaps it'll change back soon. But if you have Alex Killorn and his 74-point pace right now, maybe a good time to try to offload him in case he's not going to get Stamkos back as his lineman. He's still on the top power play, which is good. But obviously, I'm a little concerned. I guess the situation that he's in is similar to an Eric Halla right now in Carolina. Like, Halla had been great to start the season but now he finds himself on the third line on the top power play like Killorn but also not doing as well um so what do you think about Alex Killorn and this Tampa situation should we just not pay attention and wait till this lasts for a few more games or is it time to like offload Killorn as soon as you can I like that you mocked me for saying, see if you could buy low on Brian Rust, because you're like, well, who's going to... No, I definitely didn't say that for Brian Rust. Brian Rust is amazing. I was talking about Tanner Pearson when... Oh, but like, I got a comment, or I said, like, sell something, and you were like, ah, it doesn't seem like important or necessary advice, because no one's going to do that. No one's going to be able to sell high on Alex Killorn, who... I think you're wrong. We got tweets asking us, like, saying that they've got offers for Alex Killorn, and they want to know if they should take it. Killorn is having an amazing season. Yeah. 31 points in the last 30 games. Actually, you can take that back, add two points, add two games. So 33 points in his last 32 games, which is outstanding. But a lot of that has been built on this unsustainable goal scoring. He has 16 goals on his last 75 shots for a 21% shooting percentage. This is a scoring spike of epic proportions. It's been amazing. Even if he did hold on to his deployment, I still wouldn't be expecting this pace to continue. So if you can ever sell high in Alex Kalorin, even when he's in the midst of whatever heat he's in, uh, I would highly recommend it. See what you can do. Although some of these goals, like some of this scoring percentage spike is because he's cashing in a lot on the power play where, you know, you get the chance to take more dangerous shots. He's also seeing a career high 18 minutes and 17 seconds of ice per game, also seeing a career high of power play share. So there's a lot of reason to still like what Alex Kalorin has done so far, but he shouldn't be quite doing uh, this well. Like he's overperforming to a greater extent than someone like Brian Rust would be overperforming. So uh, I would absolutely see, especially if this some of this deployment disappears, he's not going to be very handy to you. I'd be very eager if I owned Kalorin to just be shopping him around constantly and seeing if I can just pull like a 60-point player back or a 65-point player back even. Someone's really bought in to point-per-game Kalorin. Okay, and then if I can't trade him at all, are you at the point now you're like, drop him? Like, uh, he's for sure not going to keep this up uh, now that he's off the top line? Or do I still uh, hold on? 
I'd wait a game or two because we've seen that no one in Tampa really sticks or succeeds on the top line. If, in recent memory, Palat fails there, Johnson fails there, Yanni Gord hasn't done anything there for some time. So maybe they're like, oh yeah, Kalorin is probably the best guy there. And he continues to do more with more time and more power play deployment. That would be my hope for Kalorin. So I wouldn't give up on him quite yet, but we know the blender runs in Tampa with regular frequency. So maybe his time is just up. Something to be watching very very carefully if you're a Kalarn owner. I read all these articles recently about how like this season, like explaining why he's been different this year. He's like stepped up as a leader on the team and all of this. Oh, wow. His leadership (laughs) per 60 is definitely improved. (laughs) Oh, well. Well, I don't know. I'm going to hold the faith and hopefully just Tampa changes those lines back soon. Give him back Stamkos. I liked him there. Uh, Okay. And then actually, I should mention that I did bring up Eric Howla and it looks like the Carolina lines changed. Carolina played Tampa today and it looks like mid-games uh, Carolina started switching up their lines. Uh, I'm seeing a tweet from Ryan Henkel who said, uh, Howla with Svechnikov and Nichas, Stahl with Martinuk and McGinn, Aho with Dezingle and Tara Vinen, and that left Walmark with Niederreiter and Fogel. So I think the big news here is Niederreiter potentially off the Aho Tara Vinen line and Dezingle on it. So if that holds, watch the line combinations, even though Carolina beat writers never tweet line combinations, like, I guess except for mid game. <laughs> but if uh, you find out that this is going to hold for the next game, uh, definitely forget about Niederreiter and maybe add Ryan Dezingle because that'd be a great spot playing with Aho and Teravainen. Dezingle should absolutely be on everyone's radars. Uh, six points in his last six games, 18 shots in those six games, which is great. As you mentioned, Elon, a really nice deployment situation for him. And he is someone who we know can provide secondary scoring given the opportunity, which hasn't been the case all year in Carolina. Sometimes he's been shoved more into like a middle six situation than a top six situation. But I like where he is now. And uh, he seems like someone who if you can stream him in or even like he could just earn a spot on your roster for the next couple weeks. So keep a close eye on him. If you're looking to add in someone new to your roster, uh, Ryan Dezingle should at least be on your watch list. Yeah, we've mentioned a lot of players that you might want to add for next week. And I'll throw out one more for you, a team with a good schedule. I want to end in LA. We rarely talk about LA as a team where you want to add someone, but they do have a really good schedule next week. They play Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. So you get three games in four days. And there's a new member of the top line and top power play because Dustin Brown has been out with an illness, and that new member is old friend of the podcast, Tyler... Toffoli. Toffoli has responded to his promotion with a point in each of his last three games, and he has three or more shots in each of his last four games, so Toffoli's doing well, and he's playing with Kopitar at even strength and on the power play. Very, very interesting. If you recall, Brian, a few episodes ago, I debuted a segment called My Hunch of the Week, and I gave that honor to Josh Anderson, and he promptly got injured. So I don't know if this is bad luck, but I'm going to make my hunch of the week Tyler Toffoli. I think he's going to have a good week right now, and how could you not playing with Andre Kopitar. So uh, yeah, I would recommend adding Tyler to Foley. Throw him on the list of people that you might want to look at for next week. Yeah, nice Monday, Wednesday schedule. Elon, how would you rank him with those Toronto Maple Leafs between Kerfoot and Hyman and Engvall and uh, who is it, Kapanen and Jason? No, not Jason Spezza. I did not suggest him. But who would you want on your roster for Monday, Wednesday? Okay, first of all, I would take Hyman because he's an actual hold and not a streamer. Then I might go with Toffoli over Kerfoot just because Toffoli also shoots and Kerfoot doesn't. So I feel like there's more upside for more help 
across the board from Tyler to Foley. Plus, hey, LA plays four times next week and Toronto only plays three. So another reason to take to Foley over Kerfoot. Uh, who wants to hold to Foley on their roster long enough for him to play four games? I mean, if he's doing well, great. We should also mention Alfred in the chat being very helpful and pointing out that Alex Iofalo is on a six-game point streak right now. Three goals, four assists in that time. A six-shot game included also a couple one-shot games, three, like all over the place, uh, but getting good power play time, good ice time. So he's someone else who you might want to stream in for this next week. Also, if you're wondering who to stream in, hopefully you've already listened to the stream scheme, keepingcarlson.com slash stream scheme, which is essentially all about schedule and how to maximize your roster and games played and finding the best picks out of free agency to do that. So check that out too. Yeah, by the way, Brian, friends of him call him Fred. So great suggestion, Fred, to mention Ayafalo. Yeah, he's in the same spot as Tao Tafoli, right? Playing with Kopitar on the other side and on the top power play. There's also uh, Jeff Carter, who might be available in free agency in a lot of leagues. So there's a lot of potential guys you might want to try out in LA for their schedule. And good luck. Maybe a couple of them will be good. I have a feeling like Ayafalo. Uh, I know, Brian, I, I chided you before for not bringing personal experience into it. But my experience is that anytime I add Alex Ayafalo, he does nothing. So I'm not planning on adding him. So maybe that means he'll do something. Uh, but I would be more into Toffoli because of the shots on goal. Before we close the show, if I may add a little bit more of my personal experience. Remember Oli, who jumped into the chat to razz me about our matchup this week, and I was down like 25 points? I'm now down six points. Whoa. And all in games that could have an empty net or overtime goal scored, it might come down to Mikhail Granlund versus Hampus Lindholm, which would be just a really boring finish to the week. And like, I have no faith in Granlund doing anything. But it's nice to know that he doesn't need six goals to uh, to catch me up. Not, I, I don't know if people care, but I just uh, karma. You know, you gotta you gotta take it to the end. Don't celebrate before you cross the end zone line. Yeah, that's my attempt at another sport analogy. So, Brian, put it in the show notes whether or not you won your matchup, because otherwise people will be waiting and not knowing, and it'll be very frustrating, I'm sure. So you'll have to open up your phone, take a look at the beautiful logo by Brandon Weeb, and then read to the bottom of the show notes to see how Brian did in his matchup versus Ollie. Okay, so with that, Brian, we are done the show. What a fun time it has been. It just flew by. Can't wait to get back to doing this on a regular schedule for the rest of the season. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening and sticking with us into 2020. It's the listeners that keep in Carlson that keep us wanting to make the show week in week out but the people who especially get to keep us going and making the shows are our valued patrons and we try to give a lot to the patrons in exchange for a measly five dollars a month you might be thinking that's eh, late in the season maybe next year you know what you can just do it for a couple months and then cancel so we'd really appreciate your support check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron to see all the perks we offer including the facebook page and show notes and patron casts a lot bonus episodes saturday streaming episodes it's all there it's a lot of fun so again keepingcarlson.com slash patron you can follow us on twitter at keepingcarlson we'd love a five-star review on apple Podcasts if you would be so kind but with that brian how about we cue the outro music and you could go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including our newest ones tyler and jeffrey welcome uh, i think there's also jordan in there who i didn't add to my list so welcome to all of you and uh you could be our newest one keepingcarlson.com slash patron logo art by brandon weeb at b-r-a-n-d-o-n-w-i-e-b-e.com outro music by pat roach uh check out his podcast the reality check do they still do a funny pop cover at the start of each episode no they did that for a long time but they saw pat's a busy guy 
He's too busy making music for us. <laughs> uh, okay, this episode was researched with help from Dabber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo, which is what I hope to be saying just mere moments from now when I come back in my matchup. <laughs> Good luck, Brian. And great job this week. By the way, update on this uh, Blackhawks game. Adam Boakvist scored a goal. You're running out of time, people. Maybe you need to grab him. Corey Crawford still is only 11-2. Chicago's up 3-2. to uh, But with that, uh, Brian, this was a lot of fun. Good job. And I'm looking forward to doing this all again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>